Ladies and gentlemen, we have something pretty interesting to talk about here today. Brought on Shannon from the uh, podcast that should be starting up any day now. I'm excited to get this thing, uh, get get this out to you guys, man. Because not only is Shannon always sending me some interesting information, um, he's a good dude, you know? And I'm not trying to talk about him like he's not here. He's listening in on this. He knows what I'm saying. Uh, Shannon, what's going on with you, dude? Nothing, man. How you doing? Good. Good to be back. I like being on and uh, kicking it with you, man. Yeah, me too. Dude. We talk pretty much every day, too. You know, uh, you kind of just reached out and then you've been really sending me some great information. The most recent of which being the Lucius Trust, um, some sometimes referred to as the Lucas Trust or Lucy's Trust. And um, this is some interesting stuff, dude. I had heard Alex Jones mention it a long time ago. Didn't put any thought into it. But now that we're starting to see some of these things manifest in the world and uh, seems like this new world religion is starting to get a little stronger. I think that the, it bears some some discussion here at the very least. Oh, yeah, I agree, man. It's it's definitely something you don't hear a lot of people talk about. Most people probably aren't even aware that these people exist. And then you find out they branch out into so many other organizations and different groups. And so many of these big players are involved with them and you don't really hear too much about them. So we're still learning ourselves about them. I mean, so as we go along, we'll learn from each other and hopefully uh, everyone out there will learn something too. Yeah. It might be something that, that we revisit. And uh, I think definitely on my Patreon, uh, one of the rants, we're going to discuss Alice Bailey a little more. She's of course the founder of the Luciferian Trust, which changed its name for political reasons, obviously. And this is the spiritual foundation for the United Nations. So this is no crackpot thing. It might sound like they're throwing around some wild ideas to you out there, um, especially if you're more Christian or Jewish or Islamic, one of these Abrahamic religions or the religions of the West as a whole. But there's definitely some merit to the things that they talk about. And uh, mostly just because and I would say the reason that I say that is because you see a lot of global leaders that are very, very involved in this stuff. So we're going to talk about uh, Alice Bailey, her husband, Foster, a little bit, um, the Lucius Trust or the Lucy's Trust and how it became that from the Lucifer Trust. Um, this is based a little bit off of the Theosophical Society and Madame Blavatsky's work. Um, and the only reason that I say a little bit is because they did kind of have some fighting within uh, that whole theosophical society. So Alice Bailey splinters off and creates her own thing. And then we'll talk about um, just the, the weird beliefs that they have. There's a 10 part plan that um, will usher in the new world order, according to Alice Bailey and some of her work. And then this will get us into Dr. Robert Mueller. Not the Robert Mueller that most of you guys are probably thinking of that was involved with the Trump scandal and all that stuff. This is an entirely different dude. And then uh, we'll talk about the three individual organizations underneath the Lucius organization or the Lucius Trust, the Arcane School, Triangles, and World Goodwill. Um, we'll probably touch on quite a few other things here, but uh, plug your stuff real quick, Shannon, before uh, you know we, we get rolling into the episode here. I know that you're about to start that secret scroll up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it should be coming on. What is today? Today is Wednesday. Yeah. Should be coming on re real soon here. I already got a few episodes recorded. It's just a matter of uh, editing them and then throwing them on there and we should be good to go. But if anyone cast at gmail.com. Repeat that one more time. You cut out. 
Uh, you can get a hold of me at secret squirrel podcast at gmail.com. Sweet. And um, yeah, this will hopefully be on your feed as well, because you're obviously contributing a lot to this episode. You sent me a lot of links and then I did my thing. I started researching it and found some wild stuff, dude. So um, of course, you can find me at uh, Dangerous World Podcast. Patreon.com slash Dangerous World Podcast is my favorite website right now, uh, just because they're really helping me out, man. I, I appreciate that whole platform. It's pretty badass. Um, you can straight up just stream the episodes. The app is dope. And you can plug in that RSS feed and get all your good stuff the same way that you're listening to me right now, whether it's iTunes, Google, I think Spotify as well. Just plug that RSS feed in and you're ready to listen the exact same way. So I appreciate that. It's actually how I met Shannon here. So this is going to be fun. But um, yeah, dude, uh, where do you want to start, man? I was thinking, you know, kind of talking a little bit about where the, the United Nations enters into this whole new world order plan. And, you know, they're part of one of six groups that, you know, this this packet that you kind of sent over to me here lists as as crucial new world order organizations yeah we could start with wherever you want man touch on whatever you want before i think we get into bailey we should hit on the um the society that yeah. they came out of for sure sweet okay and i should add too before we really roll into the episode we are going to have the paranoid american join later and uh this guy's always got some really interesting information to talk about dude's very very knowledgeable he's got that awesome comic book company and uh you know coloring books all kinds of cool shit they're putting out so um when he hops in he'll plug his stuff and then he'll uh share some of his knowledge on it because he's got a, a unique knowledge base on this so you know we'll, we'll be all over the place here with this but it's definitely some cool shit so um i guess let's get into it man we got these six groups um you've heard of most of them the one that i had not heard of was the gorbachev foundation but you do have the United Nations, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, the Gorbachev Foundation, which, again, only one I hadn't heard of. And then, of course, the Club of Rome. And these six foundations are, like I said, really critical to promoting the New World Order and this one world government, one world religion. Um, the financial systems all going to get tied together and they have seven goals according to this information too they want to merge god with nature this is what they call ecology uh they want to instill eugenics which it seems like they're they're on their way to doing that eradicate male and female distinction or make everyone androgynous essentially again i see that happening everywhere around me um the fourth goal here is world peace and nuclear disarmament which i know that like you know the um the uh what is that that apocalypse clock i just did a freaking episode on them a while ago doomsday clock that's big with them too um you have the the fifth goal being one world economic financial system six is one world government and seven is the one world religion and that's really where we get this theosophical society and the lucas trust um what do you think so far dude do you, i mean do you see like the goals here being met for the new world order I don't know, man. When I came across it, I was like, man, number one, check. Number two, mm -hmm. check all the way down. And I mean, I don't know. It seems it seems like they pretty much got them all in place. Yeah, the one world government is going to be one of the later ones. And then the financial system, it seems like they're working on that now, dude, with the diminishing of the dollar. Um, that's the base currency of the entire world, the petrodollar. And we're moving away from that. You know what I mean? 
I think crypto is going to enter in here with that. And uh, yeah, dude, it's uh, seems like they're well on their way for sure. Yeah, I agree, man. I think uh, whatever their plans are, it looks like uh, according to their 10 point plan, they got it pretty well established. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And yeah, once we go through that 10 point plan here towards the end, um, there's some great little themes to it too, man. Like uh, this, this packet that you sent it lists what the goal is. And then it lists what, uh bailey said about why the goal is so important so it's real cool i don't know maybe we can alternate going through that or if uh if thomas is still on here during that we can uh we can kind of all just talk about that it's a it's wild but like we were saying before we wanted to roll into the uh lucas trust or what do you call it by the way do you call it lucas lucius lucy's what do you call it i call it i always say lucis lucis okay lucis but i have no idea i mean I'm I'm a southerner guy, so who knows how you say it, man? Evil. Yeah, definitely evil. I mean, yeah, Lucis would make sense because it's Lucifer. Um, I do think it is probably either that or Lucy's. Um, but I've heard like English people they refer to it as Lucius. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll just go with. I mean, if we say any of those terms, you know what we're talking about here. But before we really get into that, I wanted to touch on this Theosophical Society a little bit and just Madame Blavatsky. Um, she's a weird weird chick dude have you seen pictures of this lady yeah yeah i've seen her yeah she is definitely strange looking right yeah creepy really weird man doesn't smile and it's like you know that the old school pictures where no one smiles but she definitely has like a, a witch kind of vibe to her but uh um, yeah creepy vibe for sure for sure dude and jump in here at any point um because i'm i'm gonna be reading off some notes here that i took um most of this is sourced off of their website directly it's just theosophical.org and then i did a little bit of digging on some of these things because they do such a good job of making their organization seem like they're good and pure and they're trying to better humanity but once you dig a little deeper you can see that the opposite seems to be true now what it is it's helena petrovna blavatsky was a russian noblewoman who actually became the first ever Russian woman made a U.S. citizen, which I thought was insane, referred to commonly as simply Madame Blavatsky. She traveled the world as a young woman searching for ancient wisdom and the reason why humans are here on Earth. So they took a lot of this old esoteric religion, uh, the ancient mysteries and the mystery schools, and they made them more commonly researched among elites and like scholars and people that were actually kind of going out searching for this information. And this society started in uh, 1875 in New York and mixes Eastern religion with Western and the more new religions. And according to their site, which is again, theosophical.org, they have these three core principles. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting too, because like these, you know, businesses and organizations often have three core principles, five core principles, listed on their site and they want that known to everybody so these three principles are this you got one to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race creed sex caste or color two to encourage the comparative study of religion philosophy and science three to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in humanity these powers latent in humanity, meaning like powers that we haven't really understood that we have yet as the masses, you know what I mean? Um, 
now the this dude there was a couple people involved with starting it other than just blavatsky you have colonel henry s olcott and this dude was a trip to look into a little bit too he's the first president of the society he was a civil war vet on the northern side he was also a lawyer a journalist and a buddhist and then you may have also guessed he was a freemason for sure as well and uh this is what I thought was crazy is that he was actually on the commission in charge of the investigation of the assassination of president Abraham Lincoln. So this dude was a high roller, man. It's kind of wild to think that this guy that has his fingers in government and politics is like, even back then in the, you know, 1800s uh, was, you know, involved in this theosophical society at the highest levels. He's the first president connected very, very deeply with Blavatsky. Makes you wonder, right, how far back this stuff all goes. It's like, my gosh, man, they had a down pat back then, you know? Yeah, well, and you, you'd think like, and I'm sure that you you know this too, is like, it's got to have been easier to keep these things secret back then. You know what I mean? There's no internet. No one really cared about this. It was just day-to-day life shit that, that people were concerned about. Right, right. So, I mean, I don't, and they still did a good job of even concealing it and just the, the writings, even the writings themselves, you know, they're, they're like masters of manipulation of the word. Yeah, definitely, dude. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of kind of weird to think, too, that these guys started the wave of spiritualism. And I have a big problem with spiritualism, the way that people describe it. I understand that spiritualism can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But when people start talking about spiritualism, a lot of the people that are involved in conspiracies and then think that it has everything to do with spirituality are being misled through groups like this, like all these free thinkers that kind of think the same. They kind of mindlessly follow unknowingly. They follow this Madame Blavatsky in this theosophical society. Yeah, they've they've managed to infiltrate. It looks like a lot of stuff like, you know, disguising it as something else. Well, and that's probably what's made it so difficult for a lot of people to, to understand is that the amount of misinformation back then in the 1800s was probably kept to a minimum. Because, again, no one really went out looking for this stuff. But now you have more, you know, younger people, um, less educated people like myself. Right. I didn't go to college. I didn't. I have a high school education. I barely passed that. But now I have the Internet at my hands and I can look into this stuff myself and come to my own conclusions and actually learn a lot of shit that a lot of people back like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even weren't able to access just because of the Internet. So, you know, it's it's kind of a double edged sword here. Um, but yeah, dude. Uh, so yeah, like I said, they do a good job of, of showing that they have these pure intentions and they also kind of take God out of the picture and put their own God in. Um, it's weird. They, they don't seem to honor the God that we would think of. Um, not just you or me, but you know, the average person, average person thinks God is, you know, universally good. But these guys seem to think that God has two parts to him, one good, one bad. They're both opposite, but equal. It's a lot of that stuff that I was talking about in that Freemason episode. So I don't know, dude, you seem like you're Christian in this whole thing. Do you, you don't consider yourself like agnostic or anything? I don't know. You know, I'll be honest. I just what I do is I read the Bible, New Testament, and I just try to follow what Jesus did because I'm a big follower and believer in him. So mm. that's. That's what I, that's really what I try to do. I think a lot of the other stuff was misinterpreted or jacked up, you know? Mm. 
Yeah, well, and then you show me that symbol too. And they take anytime you see Christ, it means cross. And they they've hijacked that big time, dude. And they they will will make that cross mean like Lucifer and things like that too. So you see that in here. There's a lot. This is kind of a, an extension of that Freemason uh, two-parter that I did because they overlap so much, the Theosophical people and the Freemasons as a whole. Um, but yeah, this this idea of removing God out of the picture while somehow making claims that they're channeling some godlike figure is a reoccurring theme within Theosophy. And we'll play this clip here in a little bit. It's some audio. It's about it's almost four minutes. It's longer than any kind of clips that I usually like to play on here. But it's so freaking crucial to this. And it's so wild that we're looking into this stuff, Shannon. And like it happens to be that the Lucius Trust holiday is yesterday. It's 614, June 14th. And we're in the middle of looking at this stuff already. And then it just happens to pop up that, yeah, this is their big holiday when they all say a prayer to try and invoke what sounds like the Antichrist to me. Right. And then when I was looking that up too, June 14th is, was also the full moon. Cause that ties into, they believe uh, the strawberry moon, I believe they called it. I had it written down somewhere here and they believe that uh, when you meditate and pray on it, that it could, they can suck your energy pretty much. Dude. There's a lot of people that, that believe that doing yoga outside during a full moon um kind of exercising to the moon almost um praying to the moon doing stuff like that what is like a positive thing but it seems like again dude they disguise this so well that some great people some very very good people that are not luciferian or sometimes they're even atheist or agnostic like myself will go out there and they'll participate in these satanic rituals dude and it's it's really really well done on their part but it's so evil to trick people like this, man, because these are very intelligent people. Right. And then the more I don't know what your conclusion was, but it seems like they were really tied into this energy and exchange of energy and trying to get energy and money is energy. And this is energy and all kinds. Of, everything goes back to the energy. It's real weird. Well, dude, I, I have this quote here where it says money is the manifestation of energy. Right. And. If we take that that satanic principle that they like to do so much and we inverse that and we say energy is the manifestation of money, well, 80% of money that is in circulation right now has been printed in the last two years since COVID started. So by that right. logic, they're printing energy out right now and, and they're expelling energy. And you can feel like since COVID started and it's really kind of exponentially gone up in the last couple of months even, People are drained, dude. Like no one cares. Everyone's very apathetic right now. Even my bosses at my work don't seem to really care that much. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, morale. They they done a good job, I think, of getting people's morale to sink, man. A lot of people's morale's in the gutter. That's what it is, dude. The morale is low. And I mean, just think about that. If if we're operating right now with 80% less energy, you know, because 80% of the money has been printed in the last couple of years. That would make sense. You know, we don't have the energy to do uh, to care about, you know, normal things, man. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't been doing yard work lately. I, I, I don't really care about any of this shit. And I mean, it's not like I love doing yard work in the first place, but it seems like a lot of pride has kind of gone down and like the good pride, not like, you know, the bad pride where it's like, you know, this bad thing. But 
I don't know, dude, you, you see it constantly that just the the energy and the the energy is low and the apathy is high. No one cares about shit right now. So I don't know. It's all about fighting, it seems. Yeah, right. But that's, I think, what they want. You know what I mean? They yeah. want that. They want, want to push that narrative and divide us however they can. Yeah, man, they're definitely doing that very well. Um, but yeah, so that was a little on the Theosophical Society, their, their kind of core principles, their main methods and how they operate. And again, this was the inspiration to Alice Bailey, her husband, Foster. Um, I think she was married three times, I want to say, definitely twice, uh, potentially three times. So I uh, didn't mark that down here. But uh, Foster was also really high up in the organization. Um I'll kind of go through Alice Bailey's history a little bit, some of her personal stuff. And it's wild, dude. Um, she had some hallucinations and it sounds like she had a rough childhood and whatnot, which it seems like a lot of these people that drift into this darkness seem that seems to be a reoccurring theme, right? You seem to definitely have rough childhood and you can go one of two ways with a bad childhood. You can be a great person or a complete dirtbag, depending on how your brain works. Right. And it seems like they're, it's funny how these people are always put in positions of authority or some position of power, you know? Well, I think that has something to do, too, with the propaganda that Disney promotes, man. I mean, in all these uh, Disney movies, um, the parents are either gone or they're stupid or it's a broken home. Um, I just watched Rescuers Down Under the other day, and that's a phenomenal freaking movie, dude. I just watched it because I, I kind of want to go back when I'm bored and watch these Disney kid movies from an adult perspective and see what I can pick up on because they are great storylines and the animation is kind of nostalgic and it's kind of fun to go go back and look at. Dude, the symbolism in that is insane. It's wild. And so you just see this where the families are broken and then, you know, these these people that come from these broken homes go on to do great things in these Disney movies. Yeah, but every dad is always a real dumbass too. Oh, yeah. You know? Or they're out of the picture, Big you know? time. Yeah. Usually they can't even make a cake. <laughs> Which one, what movie are you referring to right there? Dude, whatever. It don't matter. My, my kid used to watch some of that. So I'd watch it with her when she was little man. And I forget the name of the exact show, but the guy couldn't do anything, man. His wife would do it all. She was a superhero, you know? That's so <laughs> Dude, my favorite symbolism within Disney is uh, Geppetto from uh, uh, freaking Pinocchio. Because it just straight up says pedo. He's got pedophile in his name, Geppetto. You know what I mean? And he's he's fucking. And then there's this. Peter Pan too. Well, yeah, that's a reference to Pan, the the, the god right. of mischief, right? So yeah, dude, yeah. It's, it's endless. Yeah. It's absolutely endless in there. But anyway, back to um to Alice Bailey here and and her um, kind of the way that she got to where she was with the Lucius Trust. Um, she was an unhappy child, and it led her to attempt suicide. But at the age of 15, this mysterious stranger wearing a turban walked into her room and sat beside her and stated that she would have to prepare herself for an important mission. And so for many years, she believed that this visitor was Jesus Christ. But later she saw a picture on the wall of the Theosophical Society when she got introduced to that, which she knew to be this stranger. And this guy was Kut Humi which actually, if you look at pictures of him, he looks exactly like the portrayals of Jesus with the sun symbolism behind him. Um, it literally just looks like Jesus with a turban on. Now, 
what he is, he's one of these Mahatmas, one of these kind of enlightened ones or these chosen people that is very kind of godly. Uh, and again, claimed to have communicated with Blavatsky back when she was doing her thing and started the Theosophical Society. So I think this was a hallucination. A lot of people, or maybe she was just straight up making it up, but followers of her say like, no, this was real. She, you know, this, this uh, Kuthumi manifested and, you know, presented himself to her so that she could go on to do these quote unquote great things and basically start this wave of Luciferianism. What are your thoughts on that, dude? Weird. Yes, that real weird. And then that ties into the theosophists with the with our with the white brotherhood. They're the great white brotherhood and the ascended mm -hmm. masters. That's what they believe he was. And I believe that's what caused the fallout, right? Because she was they didn't think that she was channeling who they who they said she was so she broke off well so the the fallout comes later with another one of these figures and uh, I'm right it's funny that you actually remember that because like if i wasn't going off notes here dude i wouldn't remember that because she was supposedly visited by two separate uh mahatma type figures these chosen ones like almost christ-like figures and in their mind absolutely christ-like um, but yeah, later after she goes through this, so like I said, what I think was either just complete bullshit, maybe some trauma induced hallucinations or something, because if she's trying to kill herself, especially back then at age 15, things must have been pretty rough. Right. I mean, th this is kind of a common thing now, unfortunately, but back before technology was around and all these weird like radio signals messing with our heads, um, Suicide didn't really seem like a common thing back then, especially for, for kids that really shouldn't be on, an, under any stress in the first place. Um, but yeah, man, she she goes on um, to get introduced to theosophy um, by some of her friends after she had a failed marriage with this Episcopalian preacher. And that's another reoccurring thing with a lot of these people. They have some bad experience with like mostly Christianity, right? Um I don't know. It seems like uh, something like that happened with Blavatsky as well, where they get very turned off by people hiding behind Christianity. So she joins the uh, society. Um, Alice Bailey, that is, joins uh, Theosophy, joins the society and moves to the headquarters in Cretona, which is the uh, Theosophy headquarters in Hollywood back in 1917, where she edited the society's periodical, this little magazine called The Messenger and became friendly with Foster Bailey, who ended up being her husband. And he was the national secretary of the society at that time. And so this is when shit gets wild, in my opinion here. Um, in November 1919, now remember that 1919, 219s, while walking in the hills there in California at this, this headquarters in Hollywood, basically, Bailey was contacted by another spiritual master named the Jules Cool, And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. There's a few different pronunciations, but the Jules Cool, D-J-U-A-L space K-H-U-L. And this guy is another Christ-like figure. He's known as the Tibetan. And he requested her to be his eminensis, I think is how you say this. Uh, basically someone that would uh, collab with him either artistically or, or writing-wise. And... Um, they they were supposed to work together and these books were going to be dictated telepathically to her kind of like the mormon story 
kind of like a lot of these stories where religions start, she was supposed to get this message in her head and write these books down, this ancient knowledge. And um, yeah, dude, they, they go on to do 19 books together, supposedly. Okay, so 19 being, again, very, very repeated here and such a such a, a, a important number when it comes to like the alpha and the omega symbolism, God symbolism, you have COVID-19, you had 19 hijackers, 19 kids died in this Uvalde thing. A lot of these rituals have the number 19 in them for some reason. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah, it's really tied into tied into numerology and and really tied into just the way they they can use words where you the common people will think there's something mean one word, but it means something totally opposite. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's 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 interesting to look into for sure. Um, but this first book that they wrote was titled Initiation, Human and Solar. So there's a lot of interesting stuff with that, too. You get like a solar initiation, human initiation. And I would imagine the molding of the or the uh, the melding of those two, the mixing of them. Um, solar, of course, kind of represented by like shining and glowing and glimmering. Um, that's a, a reference to Lucifer, I would say, the way that they see it. The sun god, all that good shit is tied in with that uh, solar stuff. And um, they started this in 1920. And then over the next 30 years, um, 18 more books were made, again, producing 19 books, all telepathically dictated to her by um, by this Tibetan, this the Jules That's wild shit, too, man. So, so if she's telling the truth, if she's not just full of shit here, she's straight up seeing two of these people. Right now. I don't know, dude. I think it's complete bullshit. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I have no idea, man. It's like the more you look in all this stuff, it's like, is it real? Is it not real? I, I have no idea because they're liars themselves. So you don't know if they're even telling the truth. So do you think that it is possible that she was actually visited by these things that like, you know, Christianity would view um, not only the Tibetan here, but they would view this um what was the first guy's name? Cool or uh, Kutumi? They would. View uh, yeah, them. maybe as like demons and say maybe it's the same thing coming in, representing itself as something differently. Really, it's the same entity. Well, yeah, the Luciferian Bible, right? That has 77 names for the devil. Now, I don't know if if Jules Cool or freaking Kutumi would be one of those 77. But it sure seems like some sort of demon, again, looking at it from a Christian perspective, some sort of demon would be telling her, hey, we're going to tell you what stories to write. And not only that, dude, but this goes on to be so influential with the United Nations and this one world religion that absolutely has some antichrist symbolism within that. So, I mean, those would be demons, dude, if she actually was seeing these. I just kind of have the feeling that she was just lying just to try and start her own movement. I have no idea, but the, the the theological society, I can't even say their name. They believe definitely that stuff. You know, they definitely believe that stuff that the, the, the sophists, they're definitely some of their stuff is pretty out there, too, but they all believe it. 
Yeah, dude. They're no, they're uh, they definitely go back and forth with this weird stuff. But it, it is interesting that you start seeing, you know, with her loyalty, she gets kind of upset with the with the um, the philosophy and the the religious aspect that got her turned on to this whole thing in general. And um, yeah, dude, I, that kind of takes you back to like that Hoot Kumi thing where I don't. Or I'm sorry, the Koot Humi. I got the his initials mixed up. That, you know, she wasn't into theosophy until her friends introduced her to it. So she could have kind of gone back and, and said that these things happen, even though they didn't, just to try and reiterate that, yeah, you know, there is some, some spiritual force behind me and they're telling me, hey, I'm destined to do great things and we're, you know, we're going to work on this shit and we're going to change the world here. Uniting the world under one religion sounds like a good thing in theory until you know that this is kind of like the goal um, goes back to the Tower of Babel, right? Where everyone in the world works together to try and do something. I'm not sure exactly what, but it's clearly seeming to be against the Christian God's will. So that's one thing that is definitely uh, a big turnoff with that. And all these people always have huge egos. And it seems like that whatever the entity is, is always feeding into their egos that they're so special and hey, you're chosen for this. And really, it's the same message. And it just gets repeated over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Um, so anyway, back to the notes here. After these books are, are starting to get created, after the first one specifically, this is when she starts the Lucifer Trust again and back in 1920. And um, it was initially created to be a publishing house for this kind of work, along with some of the esoteric works works of Blavatsky because she did absolutely respect her work just had some uh bickering about the smaller details and I think that she kind of had a big head on her because she was saying that she was chosen by these deities and you know wanted to go on and do her own thing um but yeah later on this loose Lucius trust becomes um an umbrella company for the arcane school triangles uh organization as well and then world goodwill which like i said we'll get into here later hopefully when uh when paranoid american hops on here but what they also do which is very very interesting under the lucius trust is they publish and um uh disseminate un propaganda so anything that the un wants printed out or typed out or published in one way or another the lucius trust will be involved in that so they're going from these ancient mystery schools to working with the biggest global organization, I would say, you know, right next to the World Economic Forum, probably a little bigger than them still. Um, I don't know, man, that's insane to me to think that this was esoteric and now it's so mainstream in 2022. Yeah, it's like and these people became major players, you know, it's out of nowhere, really. I, I just wonder how much her husband was pulling the strings behind uh, for a lot of th lot of things because he seems like he's he was a major player. In well, a there's, go ahead. No, that's what I, that's what I was going to say. Seems like, and then he's tied into the UN, and it's like, holy cow, these people are all connected, and it starts getting so weird. Yeah, I was looking at him a little bit. There's not much on him. Like when you go and you, I mean, not uh, from a glance, but when you look at. Um, you know, there's uh, when I'm my tabs here, there's so many different tabs open of like theosophy and uh, Freemasonry and just how much those two esoteric schools of thought 
intermingle. I mean, Freemasonry has taken a lot from theosophy. Um, but yeah, so you got, uh, where is it? Alice Bailey. If you type in Alice and Foster Bailey, you don't get much about Foster off the bat. You kind of have to dig a little bit. There's this site called Theosophy Wiki. And uh, yeah, it just basically says Foster Bailey was an American publisher and writer who established the Lucius Trust, the Arcane School, and the Beacon Magazine, which is their mouthpiece. It doesn't say anything about triangles or uh, world goodwill, which we will definitely get into again later in the episode. Um, nothing too significant about his early life, just according to this simple site. But he, he took, I think he took over the school, right? When she died. I think he, he took it over. Uh, I don't know. I think he died in 77. I don't know when she right. died. Um, I, I had it. I, I had it all down. I think it was like, I want to say, I'm not really sure. Actually, I shouldn't say. Uh, if you want to look it up on your phone or something while I'm going here, because I'm pretty sure he died in 77. And then she dies, I think, afterwards. But I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but yeah, they lived for quite a while, man, it seemed like. And, and you know. Again, Blavatsky was around before she died, I believe, in 1891, I want to say. And yeah, man, just the same, you know, thing just gets kind of carried on. Seems like she's carrying the torch for Blavatsky here. Did you find anything? Yeah. Alice Bailey, she died in 1949. 49. Okay, so she died before him then. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I think he took over the Lucis trust. And then after he passed away, I think it was their daughter that took it over. Yeah. Mary Bailey. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they just kept it in the family. But yeah, so she died first and then he. So it, it's just weird. You can't find nothing out there. So if anyone else can find anything on this dude, send it in. Yeah. I mean, I was looking around for a little bit. I felt like it was more important to kind of look into um yeah it's so funny dude you type in foster bailey death on google and it pulls up uh fucking alice bailey's death you know what i mean it's not like an easy thing i just remember seeing uh 77 with uh yeah because you asked me if i if i heard about him i'm like man i didn't really research him because i couldn't really find anything on him too much and he was a big player so you think there would be at least some stuff to find on them. Yeah. Well, we'll say 77 unless someone else can, can, uh, you know, hopefully correct me if I am wrong, but anyway, so yeah, you're right. He lives on longer than her. And, uh, then they pass this to Mary Bailey, who I, from what I understand still runs the Lucius trust today. So she's the one that's real tied in with the UN and, and helping perpetuate the UN propaganda. But, uh, yeah. So, Anyway, Alice, and, and w- one thing that too that I want to point out before we kind of get back into the story here, they make it seem when you look at uh, the Lucius Trust website and like information on Alice Bailey, you see, like I thought that this dude that she was talking to, the Tibetan, was a real person, like a, a, a flesh and bone person because they refer to him as that. And it's not even clear in, in my head right now if he was real or not. Like it totally seems like he was a spirit or some hallucination because like you go and you look him up, there's no picture of him. There's a picture of that, this Kut Humi guy again, looking like Jesus, but there's no picture um, on like Wikipedia or any of these like mainstream sources of that uh, Jules cool dude. Right. So really freaking weird, man. And, and I even have in my notes when she was working with this guy, 
um, who was a spirit again. Um, they she that's when she started having these disagreements with the Theosophical Society over again tiny details, and um, she could have just worked with them if she wanted to, but got this ego on her, and then um, starts getting this uh, this world religion cooking under her own set of rules, mixing this old ancient Eastern religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, all this you know more esoteric stuff, and mixing it with Western and more modern religions. And then she starts this arcane school um, where they they practice full moon meditation like we talked about. And then they have the great invocation. And this is all pushing towards this goal. Now, again, I'm going to play this little clip and it is pretty long, but uh, I don't know if you heard this, Shannon. Did you listen to the uh, the little prayer clip? Uh, I, I started to listen to some of the, the invocation, but I uh, didn't want to invoke anything. So I turned it off. Yeah. And but so to be day- clear, we're not going to play the prayer just because like if anyone, because I would get sketched out of that too. Like if I was a listener, I'd be like, Dude, I don't want to hear this prayer. So we're not playing the prayer. We're playing a description of what the prayer is, but go prayer ahead. Is right. It. Yeah. And what's interesting too is the, the great invocation was translated into 50 languages and it's the new age mantra. It has been used by the UN at uh, conferences and during the opening ceremonies in 1992 at the UN's earth summit in Rio. Mm. So I thought that was pretty weird. Yeah, so that was, that was back in 92. They were already out using this stuff out in the open. Yeah, man. When I start playing this, let me know. Um, oh man, that's creepy. Where I'm, I won't play it there. It just happened where I was going to play it. It was going to be six minutes and 66 seconds long. That's freaky. So we'll skip <laughs> forward a little bit. Um, but yeah, we got, uh, so check this out and let me know, um, what you think when we're done and notice the terms that they use. Um, the energy of the person that's speaking this, it sounds kind of like an AI bot, but they use this real soothing tone. It seems right. Like neural logistic programming, like NLP. That's what I was thinking when I heard. You cut out again. It sounds just like NLP neural logistic programming. Yeah, definitely dude. It's freaking weird. So here we go. Just give me a thumbs up if you can hear it. Billions of people hope for a future world in which goodwill flourishes and the well-being and right relations between people, nature, and the earth is paramount. We dream of a world that is whole, that integrates the vision of human rights and earth stewardship with the principles of sharing, so that together we can create a better world of peace and justice for all. Large numbers today find their meaning and purpose in helping create such a world. Through the determination, creativity and concern of so many groups and individuals, we are moving towards a more enlightened future. But something else is needed too. In order to build the world we long for, we need to draw on our higher capacities of will, of love, and of lighted intelligence. 
people of goodwill and good heart can pull their spiritual resources and come together in focused prayer and attention to invoke the energies of the soul of humanity, those divine potencies that lie in the higher reaches of our nature. The Great Invocation is a world prayer that concentrates the natural call constantly arising from people of all cultures for light and love and the will to do that which is good and right. Its beauty and strength lies in its simple expression of a number of universal truths. The truth of the existence of a basic intelligence to whom we vaguely give the name of God. The truth that behind or outer seeming, the motivating power of the universe is love. The truth that throughout history and in all faiths, great individualities have come to earth and embodied that love so we could understand. And the truth that both love and intelligence are effects of the will of God. It is the will and plan of God for humanity to constantly evolve and develop in its ability to express love. We are approaching a time when we can expect another great individual to come to lead us forward on this path. Hence the call in the great invocation. May the coming one return to earth. Every year since 1952, large numbers of people have used the great invocation on World Invocation Day. Please include the great invocation as part of your regular prayers and meditations on this day. Knowing that as you do so, you are linking with countless others from around the globe who are united in a concentrated act of invocation. I believe this is where the beginning of the prayer starts. The great invocation. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds let light descend on earth shannon thoughts man that is some creepy stuff right because when they refer to light too they're talking about lucifer so lucifer Lucifer right enter into you they're talking about that. That's what invocation is. But yeah, sorry. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. And you think how many people that they think and they, they disguise it as it's so loving and it's so good and come join us, give us your will. And really they're just using you for whatever they're using you for. I don't know. Giving your will over to the darkness, I guess. I, it's just creepy. It's like how many that just invocation, the word, if people know what that means, that's just creepy in itself to me well and they say they sit there and say this entity that we vaguely call god this thing that we vaguely call god as if like calling something god that is god right calling the creator of the world god um or the creator of humanity or creator of everything 
we vaguely call it God. That's kind of like an insult, I would say. Right. It's like it, it's just this vague name. It, it doesn't really mean anything. Right. It, it, but it seems like that's what a lot. Is made to to offend some. It seems like it's made to offend some people, you know, like they're trying to intentionally do that. Well, yeah. And the line of that whole thing is um, may the coming one return. That's uh, that's a pretty damning little statement right there dude well you think about everything and then you know as conspiracy theorists you look and look at all this different stuff and it's like man cern and all this other stuff it's like man maybe these guys are just they're so it seemed like they're so prevalent in like the new age community throughout their teachings are spread in so much different stuff yeah dude it is uh (laughs) That that record uh, or the recording really tripped me the hell out, man. Do you want to take a pee break and we can kind of just pause for a second because uh, we got seven minutes here and then he's, he should be popping in right around seven his time. Yeah, sure, man. If you want to do that, we'll do that. I'll make another coffee and take a leak. Yeah, that was perfect timing, too, because uh, I had. Um... Oh, you know what? Before he hops in, too, if you want to come back. When when you're done with that, I did want to talk about my ideas on what uh, what the Lucius thing means and like where that comes from, because I had some symbolism that I found here that was pretty wild. Cool. Definitely, dude. And then we'll one thing that's weird, weird, too, is uh, how the Lord Maitreya ties in with the Theosophists and the U.N. and Bailey and all these other people. Yeah, did I mention him? Oh no, I didn't. Okay, yeah. No, so we- oh, I, I was gonna tell you. I was gonna tell you that when we we're talking about that. And then the the Theophis too. Their Messiah is that Sanat Kumara, which is the words of Satan. Just well, then when we switch. come back, when we come back, we'll get into that for sure. Um, yeah, and then you could just throw it in the other part if you want to, or whatever, right? Yeah, we'll have him because yeah, I have Matreya here, the fifth and final Buddha of our times. And how their plan, uh, Jesus was the uh, considered to be merely a lowly part of the many ascended masters who form a hierarchy that's eventually to be externalized to carry out a plan for a new world order. And um, uh, otherwise known as Bailey's disciples is the age of Aquarius or the age of Maitreya, who's the future Buddha, the fifth and final Buddha of our times. So, yeah, man, yeah, we'll get into that um, just a couple minutes before. He's hopping in here, so I'll pause. Cool. Do our thing. All right, we got the uh, paranoid American that was waiting in the wings here. Just got him involved to talk about some of this Lucius Trust stuff. It's a wild topic, man. We've gotten into a lot of stuff. Um, first of all, dude, really honored to have you on. I'm really a fan of your work, man. Uh, plug your stuff right up front here because I want people to buy those coloring books and the comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, likewise, too, man. So you can find me at paranoidamerican.com is the main website. And then all the newest stuff is on Amazon, coloring books, comic books. I'm branching out into some games that you'll find on Steam, uh, maybe by the end of the year, next year. And then right now I've got a comic book called The Chosen One that's about conspiracy podcasters. And it's just going around and they're, you're going to have cameos from all the usual, you know, crew that you're going to see in it. It's essentially about a conspiracy podcaster that finds a big secret society. So that's that's one of the cool new projects that I've been working on that I'll plug. 
Dude, yeah, I saw you sent that out and it's freaking awesome, man. It's a good idea. And and Shannon, if you hadn't seen the stuff that he does, check out his site, man, because it talks like MK Ultra comic books and like, you know, just hidden hidden knowledge kind of stuff that like the stuff that we're into. But it's like a fun thing. And then you, did you ever get around to doing that chemtrail uh, kids book or was that like an it is? Yeah, that, nope. That's actually on Amazon right now. It's Dope. called uh, it's called Connect the Dots is the series name. And the title of that book is The Confounding Conspiracy of Chemtrails. And the second one's in the works now, and it's the Secret Society Job Fair. And it go, it's like a children's book that teaches you about like the cult of Mithra, the Freemasons, the Scottish Rite, uh, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It gets into like five percenters. <laughs> I try to cover like every kind of cool secret society or unknown group out there and written as like a children's book. So, yeah, yeah. I, I love that series. It's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's bad. You said he kind of emulated it after a uh, magic school bus, right? Yeah, yeah. So instead of them going into like an actual school bus, they've got like a, if, if you've seen those old prepper shows, a lot of those dudes would bury school buses underground in their backyards as these like big labyrinths. So essentially in this school, they've got like this labyrinth of underground school buses that lead into like an astral projection layer, sort of oh, a la yeah. MK Ultra, Project Monarch and shit. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, you're an interesting dude, man. And so I, I thought that it was kind of cool to be able to talk with you about this Lucius Trust stuff. Um, how did you hear about them? If you don't mind me asking, it, it's a it's an esoteric topic. Dude. Not a lot of people know about them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this one came up a, a while ago when I was talking with my, my buddy Juan and he brought it up as, oh, dude, there's this like Luciferian, uh, you know, room inside of the United Nations building at 666 manhattan ave and like oh and it, and at the surface i was like that sounds kind of like bullshit so mm. i started looking into it and i think the 666 address might have been bullshit i think at one point it might have been like 706 or something like that but the actual uh people that set it up and i think you already got into like the baileys and their whole backstory but it really was named originally after lucifer publishing company and they also established this Lucis trust so like just the fact that it really was indeed named after Lucifer, uh, it, it perked my ears up. So I, I kind of dug in deeper and that was my first initial interest into this. And that was earlier this year. Well, yeah, dude. And, and it's it, so from what I understand, it was actually on 666 United Nations Boulevard, but they changed it now to 866. And that's similar to that phone number that you sent me, which is one eight six six. Uh, and then I forget, you know, where it goes on from that, but it's, it's letters after that. Well, it, it stands for New York Lucis, L-U-C-I-S, but the N-Y N Lucis. is a six. So it's eight, six, six N, which is six, six, six in a row. And that's one of those things where I, I try to not look like super <laughs> deep into gematria and numerology and like linking Greek and English words together. But I also have this kind of rule of how many coincidences will I allow before I start getting you know conspiratorial and i start getting suspicious and and it was like the 666 address and then even though i know 866 is a very common yeah. toll-free pre-number just the fact that it's like okay here's a number another number 666 and if you look they fully admit that the um lucis was more or less based on the name lucifer right there on the website and all of bailey's work so you've got these multiple references the 666 multiple references to lucifer it's i'm like right at that cusp of like there's enough, you know, enough coincidences here to make me interested as a conspiracy theory. Yeah, dude. And, and just the fact that they're so involved with the United Nations, which I mean, there's this on American Dad, there's this great scene. And I was telling Shannon about it, like off off air, 
where it's an apocalypse episode and they're looking for the Antichrist and the Antichrist lives in the United Nations building in this cartoon <laughs> that's on TV for everyone to freaking see. You know what I mean? And it goes back to that one world government, the one world religion, the one world currency and all this stuff where it's all it's all about one. It's kind of like a new tower of Babel, so to speak. So you see that symbolism in there. And the fact that, like, you know, not even 100 years ago, this stuff is very, very esoteric and no one really cares about it. And now it is the most influential spiritual organization in the world. But most people still haven't heard about it, dude. It's mind blowing. Um, well, I would I would step in and say that the Luce's Trust and the Bailey's were probably not as well known back then. But the, the stuff they were interested in and all of this like theosophy and and, you know, Blavatsky's research, that was actually kind of in vogue for a lot of specifically like upper class people. Like if you had enough money that you didn't have to worry about putting food on the table and like dealing with sickness, then you had the luxury of like philosophy and esoteric and Eastern and Western religions and stuff. Um, it, it, it was almost like a hallmark of being somewhat affluential in order to to even be interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it, it's in just a, a trip to me to think about this. And yeah, Blavatsky's work was huge. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I don't think a lot of like the middle class and lower class knew about this stuff. And they still don't today, dude. You can go around, you can talk to all kinds of people. They probably haven't heard of her. Um, you know, it's more of the educated people, it seems, or people that are, you know, crazy and, and into this stuff. Well, like, like anyone that's, li that's listened to any kind of like rock music from 60s and beyond, especially heavy metal, there's undoubtedly influence there that came from like Black Sabbath and they're the Beatles and then the Beatles and Black Sabbath and a lot of ancillary bands get inspiration from Crowley and mention your Crowley and mention him in the works. And there wouldn't be the same influence of Crowley without Blavatsky's work. So there's this like thread that ties everything together. Even if you're completely ignorant to all of those, like a coal origins of a lot of this stuff and the whole, like, uh, like the shock, everything shock, comedy, shock performances, you know, shock artwork. You could almost trace a lot of that kind of back to this, like Crowley, um, sort of like completely hedonistic lifestyle of like, let me just do, you know, do what thou wilt. And, I, and like, he wasn't like the one that invented, you know, acting crazy and, and being a spectacle, yeah. uh, but he kind of made it mainstream and he was the one that like popularized it. So other people say, oh man, I can, I can do what Crowley's doing and get all this attention. Mm. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's fucking, it's a trip. And so, so Blavatsky influences Bailey and, Crowley at the same time right because Crowley was around same time Bailey was yeah and, and Bailey I think is was sort of known as like an American version of uh, Blavatsky and just yeah. didn't get a whole lot of the credit but I mean they, they were all sort of regurgitating the same information and translations I think Blavatsky was influential just because she actually helped translate a whole bunch of source materials that hadn't yet been translated into like the western world yet and then everyone else that kind of came from there you could you could mention um bailey is one of them you've got albert pike yep. which also kind of like derives some of that you've got um elphis levi that that sort of also translated these arcane works into uh modern languages that people know and then he drew baphomet out. right he's yeah, the one that he's, created baphomet. he's the one that created the one that everyone kind of like refers to yeah yeah. Mainly P. Hall, too. He's tied in for a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people like almost criticize Manly P. Hall as just 
regurgitating what Albert Pike and Blavatsky wrote and people criticize, uh, you know, uh, Pike and Blavatsky for regurgitating what other people wrote. So it's just like this long line of vomiting downwards. But yeah, I, it's like I, a I big orgy. Like it was like a big, a big group orgy. They were all just sharing yep. their ideas and using each other's stuff. And, and it's, it's kind of funny too, because they got a lot of criticism for doing that, but modern day, it's like, if you look at those very first translations, they're a chore to read through. It's not easy. It's like they're not even organized that well. Like there's chapters, but there's there's no kind of structure the same way that you'd expect the book in 2022 to have some structure and like some, you know, page turning kind of like interest to it. So every time someone like regurgitates it, whether it's Blavatsky or Pike or Manly P. Hall or modern day guys, every time it's just like written for a more modern audience. So I'd uh, the, the point I'm making is I don't look down at anyone regurgitating this stuff. It's great yeah. to like keep updating it to get more people interested. Well, and what's what's kind of interesting, too, that we talked about just briefly was that Blavatsky was the first Russian woman to be made a U.S. citizen. You know what I mean? I didn't so, know that. I didn't know that at all. That's, that's kind of crazy. There's some weird coincidences with the whole theosophical society, because the guy, the, the first uh, the first president, of the whole society, which his name is slipping my mind right now. I've got it in my notes here. Colonel Henry S. Olcott was um, was also appointed to the uh, investigation team of uh, Abraham Lincoln's death. So, <laughs> you know, you've got these people that are at the highest levels of society in one way or another, because you don't just get to be the first Russian woman that's made a U.S. citizen. Right. Unless there's some reason there. And same with the first president being, you know, appointed to something that was very, very important to the American people at that time. Right. Um, still kind of is one of the one of the great conspiracy theories out there is who killed Abraham Lincoln, who killed JFK? Why was it done in which way? Obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, dude, you said that you had some interesting things on um, uh, Bailey's childhood, some some more like kind of hidden information. We just glossed over it. I figured since you had the information, if you wanted to share it, dude, like what, what else? Yeah, I mean, so so my mind almost always goes to the classic, like follow the money. So my first thought is, OK, like aside from the, the Baileys and everything, a, am going to make some assumptions that they grew up wealthy, both her and her husband, Foster Bailey, to even kind of have these interests just because it's very, very rare for someone to just be in abject poverty their entire lives and also be interested in theosophy. Um, and then the the second thing that I, I kind of looked into was um, how much money did it take to like set this thing up in the UN in a reading room and then like a, a modern day institution that still outlives them. That's a large pool of money that keeps that kind of thing going. Yeah. Or it's a lot of buy in from third parties. Um, so so it was interesting because if, if you go right to the Wikipedia page which is like usually everyone's entry, the, the article for Alice Bailey, it doesn't really give a, a great background. It makes it almost sound like she grew up poor and she kind of grew up as like this fundamentalist. But the, the truth is that she grew up in like very upper class uh, Victorian English society. She was kind of like her one skill was, I think, uh, making like lace work or something like that kind of shows you the level of work that like her and her like uh, siblings were kind of at. And they were, you know, they were way beyond any sort of like working class. Um, but wow. they were, but I think her parents both died when she was really young and she got handed off to fundamentalist uh, family members. And this was kind of like a huge uh, change for her, especially this fundamentalist aspect, because it kind of turned her into this missionary of just like preaching the word and trying to convert people into Christianity, essentially. Uh, but again, she's like still very rich and she gets uh, sent to India 
um, and with a bunch of British soldiers. And I think her experiencing and meeting British soldiers that actually, you know, were, lived in abject poverty, it kind of like opened her mind like, oh, there's a whole other world outside of this Victorian upper class that I was brought up in. Um, and then through this, she ended up having like a husband. She followed the husband to the United States. She probably covered some of this. He, he was abusive to her. So he started beating on her. The Episcopalian um, preacher, right? Episcopalian preacher. And it was this weird dynamic because she still loved him enough and realized that because he was an Episcopalian preacher, if she came out and said that, you know, he was beating her or if she divorced him, it would ruin his career as an Episcopalian preacher. Mm. So she kind of like stuck with him to avoid um, like ruining his entire life. But he, at one point he threw her down the stairs and I was, I was listening to um, a podcast by the loosest trust people like the, the current founders. And they mentioned that when she was growing up younger, even though she was, you know, um, super high class, rich class and everything, she had no real worries. She had committed or she had attempted a suicide like three different times. And one of those suicide attempt, there was, it was kind of, one of them was funny. I don't mean to say funny in a suicide attempt, but one of them hey, was, fine. she threw herself down the stairs. Another time she tried to drown herself. And then the third one was, she tried to bury herself in sand. Oh, so that's I don't, a bad way to go. It is a bad way to go, but I've, I've, I don't know. I feel like you would be very hard. Like, I don't know. Once both of your arms are under, how do you get the sand on top of your face? So like what? What order do you do in it in? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so, so she gets thrown down the stairs by this abusive husband. And that was like the final straw. And at this point, though, she had followed this American to America. Um, and now she's, you know, she's completely in a foreign land because all of her family's back in England living it up. Um, and they're fundamentalist. And now she's kind of like this new agey lady living in, in Southern California. And her one skill is lace work. And she's looking around at these like, you know, um, 49ers and, and they're, you know, next generation and no one's looking for lace work. They're looking for, you know, uh, railroad workers and, and all sorts of other, you know, like manual labor stuff. So she ends up, I think, working at like a sardine factory and she actually becomes like the best sardine packer in the entire plant. Um, and she kind of <laughs> uses this as a reference of like motivation of she came from like the highest highs and fell all the way down to the lowest lows in a completely lost land uh, surrounded by strangers. And while she was at that lowest low, she realized that like all of the quote unquote, like poor people and the lower class that she was around now in California, they were actually helping her and being nice to her. And they like, they lifted her up and they elevated her and she was mm -hmm. able to survive and thrive just because of this community of, you know, bumpkins essentially around her. And she realized like, man, I, I lived my entire life in high society and no one gave a shit, you know, when I was in a bad mood or if I needed help, like that was it because everyone just assumes like, oh, well, we've got everything. So you don't need anything from me. But when she got down to that different type of society, it just like blew her mind open. And I think at this point she started learning a little bit more about theosophy and different cultures and religions. Uh, in addition to her time in India, she's getting this from immigrants that are in California for all different parts of the world. So this was like this one little spark in this crux of it. Um, but I thought it was really interesting, like the suicide attempt, the being triggered by, you know, her husband beating her and pushing her down the stairs, which was the same way she tried to commit suicide and then abandoning him over that and kind of like rebirthing into this American culture. When, when you're talking about these three times that she tried to commit suicide, were those all while she was married to this guy or just throughout her life? No, th this was, was when she was a younger kid before she even moved yeah. out of England. Okay. Cause yeah, this was when she was visited by, 
this Kutumi or Kathumi, depending on how you pronounce it, um, with when, you know, this is the guy that says to her, hey, you know, you can't do this to yourself because you have an important mission here on this earth and it's to create this one world religion, essentially. And so she goes on, joins the Theosophical Society, but then splinters away because she has these little disagreements because of this second prophet type figure that comes to her known as the Tibetan. And, you know, who's a real guy, apparently he's he's supposed to be a real dude in Tibet. He's not an ascended master. He's not like a ghost or some interdimensional being. He's an actual guy in Tibet that just happens to develop this telekinetic bond with her. And they can just like speak or he basically dictates to her. So did you see that? Because that's one thing that I was just talking about with Shannon earlier is that I couldn't see if he was a real dude or not, because there's no picture of him. Um, even on Wikipedia, where there's always at least. Some oh, well, I mean, I don't know if there's actually proof that it was actually a real guy, but I mean, according according to Alice Bailey, to who them, said that okay. she that that it wasn't because because the the general um, concept of her flavor of theosophy was that a there are ascended masters or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, the these hierarchy. people that have like the hierarchy they've they've elevated beyond human consciousness, um, but b they're still here. They look over us and they kind of like get a little bit of say or at least get to watch um, how things are unfolding and then that three um, sort of like the elements of karma and reincarnation are what gets normal people into that same state yeah so that's kind of like her little flavor of it i believe and 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 saying that the reason i'm I'm even mentioning that is because she did not put that tibetan dude as an ascended master he was just some other dude on planet earth alive at the same time as her and they were talking with each other you know like they were they were on a zoom call essentially but yeah i don't think there's any a whole lot more detail about like who that specific dude was and that's what's very interesting to me is they make him seem like a real person but you know they just happen to cross paths while she's walking around in the hollywood base basically of um <laughs> of theosophy right which they relocated to a separate city in in california later but it's interesting that though that how closely Hollywood and these sort of like secret, you know, yeah. cool esoteric societies seem to just go hand in hand. Yeah, it was called Kratona. How, how how close to it's almost like Kundalini too. If you look in the Kundalini, it's like with the chakras and everything, it's like mimicking that almost the same thing. They just change the language and she uses planets and a lot of stuff. You can almost apply it to like the geography of that whole um right. California region, right? Yeah, it's very weird. Well, what what I another thing, one of the many things I thought was really interesting was, you know, this Gnostic idea, this doctrine, basically, which, you know, the, to your point of her kind of separate idea of what uh, theology means, transforming God right into something which I think emulates Satan a little bit more to the way that at least Christians would look at it um, while bringing kind of Christ, Jesus Christ down in that hierarchy of like these, yeah, he ascended and and his consciousness was higher than most, but he's lower on that hierarchy. And this hierarchy was meant to become externalized. And then um, this is when the new world order would be ushered in this one world religion, when the atheists and the spiritual and the religious people all have to abandon their ideas because this one figure comes down this would move us out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius or the age of Maitreya, which, you know, Shannon and I were going to talk about a little bit. And this this is the guy that, you know, supposedly the future Buddha, the fifth and final Buddha of our times. So that, that was an interesting thing. It seems like they're very, very fascinated with Eastern religion and the old world stuff, Hinduism, Buddhism, 
all that well, shit. Well, their but... whole thing was was combining Western religion yeah. and Eastern religion into one world religion. I mean, it was literally that was that was the plan. It was very uh, blatant. It wasn't like a secret plan. That was like the the number one stated goal of their version of theosophy was to blend all world religions into one religion almost like this this grand unification theory of you know like like uh the string theory but the religious version of that yeah did you have anything else on matreya shannon that you wanted to touch on or or did you want to move on it's just weird how they all the theosophists and the un they all talk about that the lord matreya and how he, he's supposed to be coming but i believe that if you read now they think he's already here supposedly somewhere waiting i don't know where elon but... musk dude it's elon musk is that is that Madrid? creepy i don't know dude who knows creepy, man? man freaking may who musk knows? is such a weirdo well you know the 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 name alone too is real interesting and then i want to get into these 10 uh the 10 point plan that they got and and uh you know jump in with anything that you got to uh either one of you guys honestly because the the lucius name l-u-c-i-s um that means light lucy means light right and you can either have like lux or loose or lucy and it's light in italian or latin also romanian and roman and it can mean shine shimmer sparkle or glisten and uh that brought me to find this roman goddess of light that's called lucina and her full name is juno lucina and she's not only got the goddess of light, but also of the moon, too, and of birth. So she's kind of considered like the champion of women, the queen of heaven. And that brings you into that whole idea of God being a woman, which is supposedly blasphemous, according to Christians. I don't know, dude. I see such an attack on mainstream Christianity that that's kind of what draws me to it. I say it on my, on my show all the time. I'm agnostic. But I lean towards Christianity because of the modern day persecution of it, dude. I don't know where you sit on the <laughs> religious spectrum. I I'm, I started very agnostic and then turned into like, um, I, I kind of I feel like I understand Christ Christ consciousness more than talking snakes and you know like flying ghosts and stuff and and you know big floods. Um, but I, but I, I absolutely have come around to the concept that there's people that probably have a much higher consciousness than other people for sure. So you, do you, and, and I don't mean to pry and you can just tell me to go fuck myself if you don't want to talk about any of this. Do you, do you see any religion making more sense to you or any kind of like group or anything like that making more sense? Uh, not really. There, there's a couple just like little quotes here and there that have always kind of like fucked with my head forever and ever. And the the one biggest one that, that kind of changed me from agnostic to, you know, maybe some like other third category that I haven't found yet. But it was in the I think the Upanishads and this dude's having a conversation with Shiva. Um, and at, at one point he's he's very logical, right? Like everything's math and science and logic. And he's presented with this logical uh, paradox of, you know, if, if everything's logical and everything has to make sense, then why is there something rather than nothing? Because just an absolute state of nothing would make a lot more logical sense than something happening like, you know, life and just matter and time and, and energy. Like, why does it mm. even exist versus nothing at all? Because it's almost like if, if pure chaos were to just allow itself to uh, find its logical conclusion, like the extreme conclusion, then it just dissipates into nothing. And there's just a big vacuum of vast nothingness. Right. But that's not what we have. So just that alone is enough to be like, there's, there's something out there 
and, you know, it's not just all nothing. Like, and that might have just been like a, a steering away from nihilism more so than yeah, agnosticism. Yeah. But I, th- I think that was kind of like a crucial moment of like, there's more to it than just I can't know because um, I mean, I don't think I'll ever know. So maybe that's the agnostic part. Yeah, that's why I feel I mean, I, I feel like what you were kind of describing seemed to be like not with the uh, what was the, the text that you're referring to? I think it was the Upanishads or it was the Bhagavad Gita. It's, it was one of those two books. OK, so, yeah, it seemed like that would like the the description would be more atheist in the way that like, you know, like not not the agnostic part to me, but maybe I'm misunderstanding you. Um, well, I guess maybe it was more of a transition from atheism to that, agnosticism yeah, yeah, yeah. to maybe I don't know if I would say Gnosticism, but because um, because agnosticism is that uh, like Christ consciousness or God or religion is this thing that is it would be like a human trying to explain himself to an ant. That's the best uh, analogy I've heard for agnosticism is like even if God's out there, it's just like an ant an ant can look up at you. But if you try to yeah. explain yourself like I'm a human, dude, and you're an ant and like, yeah. here's the rules of physics and stuff, it, it just wouldn't work because the ant is almost agnostic of humans. So maybe there's some kind of level of like we would be agnostic to something bigger than us, like if we were the ant and that was the, the big thing. That's fascinating. And I've heard uh, illusions or, uh, you know, kind of some some idea of that, I think, on Joe Rogan's show, actually, where he's like, if you when you wave your hand over a bug, the bug doesn't even really notice that you're there. You know, maybe it will get scared and and move because there's a shadow or some wind going over it. But the bug doesn't really like an ant. Like you said, it doesn't pay attention. It doesn't care if you're going to swipe at it or kill it. It just is doing its own thing until you do step on it and then it's just dead. So, yeah, it's a it's a weird it's freaking weird what we live in, man. I think about it a lot, but I try not to, dude, because it. Well, I love that analogy the most, too, because enough ants could kill a god, you know, or they could kill a human, essentially. So I always wonder, sure. could enough humans kill a god <laughs> in the same way? That's some crazy ass fucking thought, too, dude. Like, Yeah, I don't know, man. It, like I said, it can drive you crazy. And, and that is why I do kind of respect the work that goes on with not only these guys, but, you know, the Freemasons, the Templars, all these different groups throughout time that widely do get a bad reputation, but, and maybe rightfully so, I don't really know for sure, but, you know, there's definitely, I think, two sides to that. I wanted to move into this, um, this little 10-part thing here, and uh, like I said, um, either one of you just jump in with anything that you got, anything that you want to talk about here, because this 10-pointer is wild and i'll share my screen so you guys can at least see what we're reading here shannon actually sent me this and this is some good shit where did you find this by the way shannon just stumbling upon it yeah i you know me i start going down so many rabbit holes and grabbing pdfs and different stuff and it's like all of a sudden you said something it's like man this is weird i'll mark this and come back later well, yeah, and so this is where Robert Mueller will come in, Dr. Robert Mueller. I'm sure he would not like to just be called because uh, that's why they go to school like that long, right? They don't want to be called uh, Mr. But this guy, um, <laughs> along with some other folks, uh, came up with this 10-point plan, it seems, <laughs> of the uh, New World Order. And it's it's freaking interesting, man, based off of the Lucius Society and what they get into. Um, this, this first one's already triggering the hell out of me. Why? Uh, because this this rings so true to some of the other research that I've been doing completely different tangent. But I recently I got into um, understanding more about the trivium and quadrivium. Are you guys familiar with the the seven liberal arts? Uh, so no. Th- 
so so these were skills that were pretty much part of every classical education up until you could argue when they started taking prayer out of schools in the U.S. This was still kind of the standard. And if you look at a lot of um, Christian homeschooling materials, they still very much follow the classic trivium quadrivium uh, education process, which has been completely abandoned in the same way that public education has gotten rid of uh, prayer in schools. And it's weird to me because I don't I don't personally believe there's a correlation between Christianity and religion and the, the trivium quadrivium. It just happens to be that they were always so closely linked for such a long time through Jesuit education and through just like classic Roman education that it was hard to separate the two. But, you know, the UN ended up doing it. But the trivium is essentially, it starts with understanding language. So it, I can't remember the exact order, but it's like, first you understand grammar, then you understand logic, and then you understand rhetoric. And essentially grammar is understanding the input, like what do words mean? What does the order of the words mean? If you can't break down the grammar of a statement, then you, you can't even process it. The second one is logic is where you're like, okay, does that statement make sense? Are there any obvious contradictions? Are there are any obvious assumptions being made. That would be the logic step. And then rhetoric is like, okay, who's saying this and how are they saying it? And in what context are they saying it? Because maybe there's like an alternate agenda for why they're saying certain things in certain ways. So that's kind of like that classic trivium. And that lets you, it's like, that's your instant bullshit meter. You know, it's like gives everyone a bullshit detector in their head for anything they come across, written, spoken, anything. Um, so just removing that from the education system means that everyone doesn't have that bullshit detector that people have had for thousands of years up until, you know, recent modern history. So that's the trivium. It's grammar, language, and then basically propaganda. Grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And no, I wouldn't say rhetoric is pop propaganda in some ways, but it's it's the same way that uh, like you know how to effectively communicate and you know not to just kind of ramble on and, and you know how to like bring things to a point. A really good example I've heard recently on like these language experts, they were doing like Johnny Depp trial and stuff, but there yeah. was a great example where if you have a list of three things where I'm trying to tell you to come to a party and I'm like, oh man, you know, um, yeah, Jay-Z was there. And the food was really good and the parking was really easy. It sounds weird because you usually build up to the biggest thing. You'd be like, oh man, the parking was easy. The food was great. And freaking <laughs> Jay-Z was there. You know what I mean? Like, but just that, that subtle nuance of the order of things that I, I mentioned those in, that's part of rhetoric. And if you don't understand rhetoric, you kind of sound like a weirdo out of context and your communication's not as effective. Some people are so freaking great at rhetoric that they can convince you of bullshit just because they're so good at placing words together and like building up the tempo and stuff. And then there's other people that suck so bad at rhetoric that even though they're correct, they'll just never get a, a word in edgewise. Yeah. And, and then it like the point that they're trying to make falls on deaf ears for sure. So to be clear, I mean, and, and obviously we alluded to it here, the first point, and I think the number one goal of the UN to make this one world religion, this new world order is to take God and prayer out of the education system. Now, do you feel to be clear that, um, and both of you, I'd like to get both your opinions on this. Do you think that God and prayer should be involved in the education system? Let's just say here in the United States, because it was obviously Christianity that was heavily promoted in the United States schooling system. Go ahead. Shane. I just think, I just think you should be able to do what you want. That's, that's what I think. Wherever well, you want to practice, practice. Should it be part of the curriculum, though? Because I think that's kind of what it was, right? According to what uh, Paranoid was saying here. I guess as far as moral wise, I mean, 
that could be okay in certain aspects, you know, that just have the good morals rather than no morals. Okay. That's, yeah, and that's what I don't I'd know. say. I, I kind of think that if they were to cover it, it would be in like more of a historical aspect, not a, a moral aspect. Um, and, and just to be clear too, I don't, I don't think that the trivium and quadrivium and Christianity are even linked together other than just the fact that they had always kind of lived side by side for so long that it was hard to get one without the other. But, but the side effect here of taking God and prayer out of schools, it also removed the trivium and quadrivium from the schools. And that same, gotcha. it would have been great if they could have just taken like maybe the religious fundamentalist teaching and left the trivium quadrivium curriculum in there, but that's not what happened. It like the whole freaking thing changed the whole pattern, everything. Cause also back when, when God and prayer were at the heart of the education system, it was community-based schools. And, you know, like the community would get together and send all their kids of, of all different ages to the one schoolhouse. And they would all kind of like learn the same things together. It wasn't even split up in the first grade, second grade, all the way up. Interesting. Um, so it was, it was just a completely different approach to education as a whole. So like, this is such an overloaded statement because by taking God and prayer out of the education system, you're really saying completely redesign how communities come together and teach their children and replace gotcha. it with this, this uh, standardized public nationalized version of it, which is way bigger than what that statement makes it sound like. Right. I mean, like yeah. Almost like a, like a common core, right. That we had to go. Exactly, bro. Yeah. Im imagine if like, like this is one of those uh those um like the bills they pass where it's like the simplest little thing it's like oh this is the bill to take god and prayer out of the education system and then you get into the details and it's like and implement common core and implement this and implement this <laughs> that's kind of what this thing is right here this this first bullet point okay okay well so she goes on alice bailey goes on to say uh, and why this is such an important thing she says change curriculum to ensure that children are freed from the bondage of christian culture so that's why i brought up the christian part now, why would you do this? Because children go to school to be equipped to face life. They're willing to trust and they are willing to value what is being given to them. If you take God of education, they will unconsciously form a resolve that God is not necessary to face life. They will focus on those things. The school count, uh, counts them worthy to be passed on and they will look at God as an additional if and, well, well, hold on. You, you said it as an additional, but it's it's kind of fucked up because she says if one can afford the additional and my mind goes right back to like, here's this rich British, you know, aristocracy lady yeah. being like, oh, I don't think those poor people can afford to understand God right now. Like they need to make sure they can understand the basics first. Not like me. Like I'm, I'm elevated, but I can handle God. They can't really handle it. I, something about that is just so rich to me. Well, yeah, it's a it's a snobby ass statement. And what's interesting here is that it notes that today they introduced uh, trans transcendental meditation into kids, which brings them into alternate uh, states of consciousness. And this is a new age ideology, right? Instead of prayer, it's transcendental meditation. So well, I know for a fact, when I was in middle school or high school, we did like a stream of consciousness writing, which you could almost say is like right there next to like auto writing where you summon you know, you summon a demon and you just your hands moving and you just write whatever yeah. words and letters come out. I mean, that was just a regular transcendental writing process in my high school. And that was in the late 90s. I mean, dude, I was in school in the 90s, too, man. It's we're probably about the same age. And yeah, there was uh, free writing and all that kind of stuff, which it does seem very low key kind of introducing you to that idea there. Now, if that first one 
triggers you. I wonder how this one leaves <laughs> you both feeling. Reduce parental authority over the children. Now, I know Shannon's got a kid. Um, I don't know if you do. No, um, I, don't. I, I do not. But um, she says break the communication between parent and child so that parents do not pass on their Christian traditions to their children. Liberate children from the bondage of their parental traditions. That is why school knows better than mommy and daddy, which is something that's like pervasive right now in in education. Yeah, dude. And I mean, let's say Christianity is what is targeted here. In my opinion, there's not many Hindus that are in this country, especially back then when this stuff was being written. To be clear, this was written back in uh, 2017, 2018 in the uh, academic year there. Um, but yeah, you have just tying back to Christianity and I hate to sound preacher or anything. Cause again, I don't know what the <laughs> hell is going on, but it notes here in the packet that Jesus said in the last days, wickedness will increase. So there's going to be like rebellion. The children will not obey their parents and so on. I think you see that going on here. Um, thoughts on that. Do you think that, that, uh, they've succeeded so far in separating the, uh, parental, uh, to children connection here, Shannon? I would say it depends on, well, you, you look at what they did to the family in general, you know, they got rid of the dad in a lot of places. So, I mean, they're succeeding, but a lot of it has to do with us as individuals because we have the power. If we don't let them take that bond between our child, then they can't do it. I have a great bond with my daughters. They're not, I know they trust me more than they trust some government entity. I hope that that's the norm. It's not, there, though, there's a, well, and number one and number two relate to each other because Shannon brought up Common Core recently. And another uh, dynamic of Common Core is that you're separating, you're, you're removing the authority from parents, right? So like me and you, the way that we learn math, if you try to teach your kid that today, you'd be talking two different languages and they'd be, they'd be failing their classes. Even if they get the right answer using the techniques that we know, they'd have to use the Common Core technique to arrive at the answer in their own way. And then while there's some kind of, you know, justification for trying to get like a standardized way of teaching everybody, this also very directly destroys your authority. Cause like, even like, you know, your kid goes up to you, your, your um, theoretical kid, Ryan comes up to you and he's like, help me do this math homework. And then you don't have the right answer. You have no authority. So now it's like the, Oh, the teacher has all the right yeah. answers. Mom and dad, they, they can't help me. They don't have the right answers. Everything they tell me is wrong. And the Common Core helps institute that. But then so many other aspects of, you know, public education. I mean, there's there's plenty of examples where, you know, parents or teachers like illegally, but they'll record and they'll get the teachers in the classroom saying like, oh, your parents don't know anything. Listen to me and, you know, do these things and hide these other things from them at, at home. So if like if like Shannon said, if you don't have a really close bond with your kids already, the, the teachers are ready to just snatch them out, uh, you know, away from you and teach them like they were their own kids almost dude that's a good point because like my dad who i respect the hell out of and i did as a kid even though i was kind of like a rebellious kid um when he didn't he, he admitted to me very early on he didn't know anything about math so i needed to pay attention to math in high school especially because he didn't know it and i thought that it was dumb of him you know what i mean and i love my dad i always have man i, I have a great relationship with him and i was like how the fuck don't you know math? You're, you know, you're this old and, you're, you know, I thought that my dad knew everything. And then once I start realizing he's just a man, you know what I mean? He doesn't know all this stuff. I subconsciously might have lost a little bit of respect for him because of something so dumb is that, you know, yeah. You I don't imagine how frustrated math. you'd be that if you really did know math and you knew all the answers, but you just didn't know this like special new magical yeah. way of like showing your work. 
Yep. It's, it would be like, I can help you, but I'm not allowed to help you because the state has these standards that say that my information I'm trying to bestow onto my offspring is not the state, you know, regulated version of it. So that it gets into this really fucking weird, um, wow. like, like, Kafka and, it, and it's in a lot of states too. I don't know. How, I, what is it like 47 or 45 states or something? It's common course. Still I, th- taught. I think it, it, it uh, rose in popularity and then fell a little bit. So some states are kind of like, they can decide if they opt in or out but yeah we don't teach it here it's the closest thing to an to a national standard that uh the states have right now though yeah i did okay so number three we went through one and two there i'd say that they're doing a pretty damn good job of of getting those first two done number three is destroy the judeo-christian family structure or the traditional christian family structure now um seems like that's kind of a, a, a repeat of that but it's definitely a different thing And what Alice Bailey says here is it's oppressive and that the family is the core of the nation. (laughs) If you break the family, you break the nation, liberate the people from the confines of this structure and why they want to break the family and all this, even though they know that it's the key of the nation and like basically the foundation, like they say, is because they don't want nations. They want one world government and specifically with theosophy one world religion, all tying back to the, like what I think is kind of portrayed as the Antichrist here. Shannon, thoughts? I'm with you, man. It's stuff is just, it's the same kind of stuff. I would change this document. If you look, it came from some law. I believe it was like a Christian college. I would say we could change that to new, would mean the nuclear family, which is what they're doing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it goes back to the welfare, kicking dads out of the house, everything else. So women always win in court. There's another those type of ideas. There's another argument too that I I've, I tend to give more credit to than a lot of other people, but that the integration of of women into the workforce had a liberating effect, but it also had um, you know fathers and mothers competing against each other. Absolutely. Uh, in the workforce, driving wages down, um, and then also establishing this new dynamic of now your kids are going to be babysat by the state, whether it's state. It's the public education or whether it's just going to be some, you know, your maid or, or whatever else it's going to be in, in this version of it. It's essential. If you take this to its logical conclusion, it's the village, right? You have a kid, you give them up to the village. And now like you don't have any ties to them. You just everyone's raising everybody, which is crazy to me. But that's kind of like this end goal of the new world order. Well, this is very rules for radicals esque, right? It's Sololinsky <laughs> right here to a T. I mean, it takes yeah, a village yeah, yeah. to raise a child, like you said. Yeah, it's like police state, man, 101. Oh, yeah. Well, and the police state, I think, is coming, man, unfortunately, with with the the more division with the right and the left and the, the polarization. They want a police state because I, what happens when the right and the left cannot get along in public like grown ass adults? Martial law is ushered in because people are fighting all the time. It's a it's a step in that direction. So, yeah, dude, well said, both you guys. Um, Number four here. If sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. Oh <laughs> I know this one's going to be some spicy. <laughs> yeah, this one's a very current one. Now, Alice Bailey says build clinics for abortion, health clinics in schools. If people are going to enjoy the joy of sexual relationships, they need to be free of unnecessary fears. In other words, they should not be hampered with unwanted pregnancies. Shannon, thoughts? I don't know, man. I'll be honest. This one, man, I, I, I have no idea. Gotcha. Okay. I'll be, 
I'll be honest. Okay, fair enough. I've I've got a hot take on this one. Which, Ooh, let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, this is going to sound like the worst uh, pre-qualifier ever. But but the pre-qualifier here is that eugenics is an absolutely horrendous and class-based system of eradicating entire peoples and cultures for the most nefarious reasons yep. dressed up as some kind of like an advancement or you know alleviating burdens on society and families and it's all bullshit and i think the entire eugenics movement is probably one of the most evil like if you wanted to say like what's satanic the eugenics movement to me is probably the most version of a satanic movement that there could be that qualifier out of the way my hot take is that I, I fully believe in choice and, and having even state-funded free abortions, but I almost feel like there should be like a Subway's rewards card version of it that like once you make that third punch, like you're getting sterilized. Like if, if you've had ah. to rely on the state to give you an abortion three times, because A, I don't think that you sh- it should be reliant on if you can afford it or not. That's a little bit fucked, especially if there's a legitimate reason that you might want it or need it and and my other caveat here is that um it absolutely is is murdering a living human being after the point of conception and that's not from uh like a puritanical christian standpoint because again i endorse it i endorse that you should be able to go and have the state for free kill that little human inside of you and you don't even have to go and sit down with someone and like do the whole embarrassing like yeah i want to kill a baby and like do all that shit like you go in you get your your card punched and on the third one before they let you out they're like "Eh, eh, eh." (laughs) before you get out that door we're gonna have to to tie those tubes or you know uh snip you know snip your husband or or whatever like once you've been involved with you know that many state funded three's generous dude i would say three is very generous i would say i'm trying to be generous i'm trying to well I, th- I feel like one, you could legitimately end someone's entire lineage for a fluke or a bad decision sure. or, okay. you know, Fair. indiscretions of youth. Three uh, represents like you're legitimately either don't care about yourself or people around you or th- here's where the hot take comes in, right? <laughs> you're sticking um, with those I, baseball <laughs> rules, dude. Three strikes yeah. and you're out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, f- I feel like it's it's somewhat appropriate because it's it's more than a pattern. Like like I said, a lot of the things to me, like I've got this threshold of coincidence and it's sure. like, is it just coincidental that you've needed three state-funded abortions over the course of X years? Or is this establishing a pattern and a, and a bigger issue that needs to be addressed at a different level? Okay. Hey, maybe it's something that we can think about later. You brought something up that we touched on earlier. These are the seven goals of the new world order, so to speak, that tie right into that. Number two here is eugenics that you referenced. Um, Merge God with nature, eugenics, eradicate male-female distinction, world peace and nuclear disarmament, one world economic financial system, government, religion. Those are those are the seven things that they're going for, man. So, you know, these things are seeming. Let me ask, which one of these do you think we're the farthest from manifesting? Some of them feels like they're already here. Which one make an argument? Well, I'm asking you, which ones do you think are are the farthest away that like we haven't got to yet of these seven of these seven? Yeah. Um, One world government seems to be the farthest off because I think a financial system is coming up pretty quick. We already have a one world economy, essentially. You could say bit, you could almost say Bitcoin too is could be this one world currency. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Bitcoin. I think that it no, would... it won't be Bitcoin, but it represents a sure. this universal currency that everyone trades in now. Absolutely. I think on a on a global scale, male, female, um, 
in distinction, I think is pretty far off too. I think androgyny as a whole is a ways away, at least two generations. I hope, I hope um, definitely within one, one to two generations, I would say that will be more mainstream. Um, world peace is far off, but as far as merging God and nature, that's, that's a ways off. Eugenics is a ways off. The one that I think they're closest to will reverse engineer your little, uh, your question there. Cause I think that that's easier for me to do the, um, mm, it's not even that easy. I would say the financial system would be, and the economic is the closest, the farthest would probably be, um, either the androgyny or the one world government, man. I think that those are a ways away. What are your thoughts on that? American. Oh, Shannon go. Oh, okay. Sh- Shannon, what are your thoughts? Farthest away and closest. Man, I would say we're, we're probably almost there. That or there already really is there underneath and we don't even know. That's what I would say. I don't think we're that far off at all. I think maybe we're about 10, 12 years, maybe max. Okay. And I agree with you on the financial. I, the think, financial I, think, the, I think the money system would be the, the easiest, quickest one to just fall into a universal. Because already... Like if, if you just take like cryptocurrency as a whole or, or the certain point of singularity and the next step is almost going to be like the machines we control are just like spending money amongst themselves, right? It's almost what we do now. If I go and buy something on PayPal and I use a credit card, like no money has ever exchanged hands. You know, this is a basic concept. Yeah. It's just moved numbers around in a bunch of different systems. So the, the next logical conclusion of that is that humans don't even have to move that fake money around. We just have like, an app that just automatically pays your bills for you or automatically, you know, pays your Netflix subscriptions and stuff at it's a certain so point. Well, we're going to be so removed from that, that it's almost like you don't even have to opt in for that. It's just the fact that you have this app on your phone. It will just automatically like pay for itself using like ether or Bitcoin or, or something, yeah. but like, we're already right there. The, the farthest one um, is hard. I almost feel like we're almost equal on, on a lot of them. Cause the, the eradication of like the, the male female that kind of gets into like a very uh, metaphorical interpretive sense. Cause it's not like you're literally gonna, you know, combine two different sexes into castrate everybody new thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's a possibility, but I think it's more of about bringing down the lines of distinction, but uh, to what ends. And I think that's where it gets into the, you know, like what, what is the actual line? Is there a litmus test that's that you can, that you can make. Just the fact that the line is getting blurred, I would say, is a success on their part, a a loss for us. Um, But yeah, man, no, it's an interesting question you bring up there. Uh, Moving back onto this list, though, number five, make divorce easy and legal, free people from the concept of marriage for life. Um, She obviously went through a divorce that was pretty rough and she went through a relationship that was that was no good. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think that that definitely, especially if there are kids involved. It's pretty rough right when when kids have to go through a divorce i'm fortunate i never had to go through one um or see my parents go through you can one make a counterpoint too though that it would be just as rough for a kid to be forced to live with two people that hate each other absolutely you know definitely it's, it's, it's a rough one like some people are just not made to be good parents and whether they're together and bad parents or separated and bad parents it's almost like the same end result well and it's mind-blowing right. to me that- yeah it's just humans right it's just it's humans. It's all about real love, not the garbage that these Absolutely, guys are talking man. about, Absolutely. but real love. If you got that bond, it doesn't matter. You'll be good to go. 
Well, it's mind blowing to me that you need to get a license to drive a car, but you don't need a license to have a kid. You know what I mean? And <laughs> maybe that's a little authoritarian, but there are there are lives affected by having horrible parents. And who knows how many like what you that have to get a license is. to go fishing in most states. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's bullshit, <laughs> you know, let alone a fucking car. I mean, just to go in and fish out of a pond and bring it home. I mean, you legitimately have to get a license for that. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've gone fishing without them. But, you know, it, it is <laughs> I think everyone has. Right. But it's just it, it is it's interesting. And like I said, it sounds authoritarian on the surface, but there is a ripple effect there when a, a kid is treated poorly by two horrible parents. <clears throat> Is that kid going to go the opposite way of the parents or is that kid going to perpetuate that that, you know, abuse and affect, you know, potentially millions of other lives? Who knows? Um, six here is make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. That seems to be synonymous with this with this whole thing, too, with the theosophy and, and how they operate. Um, I guess she preached that sexual enjoyment is the highest pleasure in humanity and no one must be denied. And uh, that no one must be denied and no one must uh, be restricted on how to enjoy themselves. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but um, I don't have a problem with homosexuality personally, but I do see it as like there's a legitimate slippery slope argument to be made there. I think that pedophilia will be ushered in at some point. And we started with widely accepting homosexuality, which, again, I grew up in the time. Well, that shit was fine. You know what I mean? I have zero problems with homosexuality. My dad's generation is a little bit iffy. And then our grandparents generation was like, that is weird. You know what I mean? So now what are our, our grandchildren, two generations from now or, or three even, how are they going to feel about pedophilia? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that the sexuality opening up more and more is going to open the gates to some things that might not be acceptable today. I'm just I'm curious, is this for sure, like the first part here before it says the note, but where it actually says homosexuality, incest, bestiality, is this from Alice Bailey herself or is this an interpreted version of what she said? So it abandons the thing. If you go to these first ones up here, it says she said, right, it's oppressive and they take direct mm -hmm. quotes. Now, when you get down to here, I don't know if she directly says uh, people should be allowed in in whichever way they want to choose, whether it's homosexuality, when, incest, well, 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 this one whatever. started with like this one starts with a very Christian or anti-Christian slant. Um, but it but it's almost like a, it's very patent fundamentalist Christians to lump in homosexuality and incest and bestiality and put like all the every everything into one. Whereas if you kind of treat it in different categories, like and the reason why I'm making this delineation here is that she says as long as two agree. Well, the first one seems like that could be possible. Two people can agree to have a homosexual relationship. But when you get into like bestiality um, or even incest, there's unless, you know, you're talking about like stepbrother and stepsister, second remove or something. But there's going to be like a weird family dynamic in there where um, not to sound all like woke and everything, but the, the element of consent, I don't think exists the same way between like a fucking dog or a horse. And a person uh although there's videos online that that show that hey man you know, the donkey maybe... show <laughs> yeah, the, the hey, classic donkey show dude. quick quick tangent here there's a movie called uh zoo that is a, a dramatization of uh a group of guys that would go out into like the middle of fucking nowhere um uh, america on like this guy's trip and they would like let these horses just do them in and one Ooh. of the dudes died of like a punctured 
prolapse or some shit yeah like dude he he died from it but it it very clearly demonstrates that you know that maybe it can be consensual because like the the guys would all kind of like line up and wait for the horse to like pick one and like horse would like lead him into a okay anyways without getting too much of a tangent one guy's uh, rubbing (laughs) you know one guy's rubbing some alfalfa shit on his asshole or something (laughs) he's getting that horse to pick him for some reason and that horse sees a hole and it's going to hit it, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why do they keep picking Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't pick me, dude. They pick you. I'm not into that shit. Poor no, guys. Man, that's, that's hilarious, dude. Like, but I guess think- the, the, the point I was making is just that it, it's uh, really odd to always see these things all lumped together because uh, because we could discuss one of them in a completely different context as the other two. Yeah, I would say I, thought, I always thought that's what the plus was for. The plus is the plus <laughs> is else. for the plus is so that they can add on dude you know what i mean and i think that you already do people say you know there's gonna there's gonna be a p added on to that it's already there it's it's under that plus sign you know what i mean it just isn't formal yet um to answer your question hopefully a little bit on like whether this is like a very christian thing this paper was submitted at covenant college and the a quick google on that brings up the wikipedia where it's a private christian liberal arts college so you know it, it is a from a obviously a very christian perspective because because some of this comes to me is like again i don't know the original source material but let's say alice bailey wrote something about how homosexuality should be accepted it seems very patently stereotypically fundamentalist christian to to rewrite that and then plug in that last of like and incest and bestiality as a way to throw shade on the homosexuality part but i don't know the difference well crowley was was fine with bestiality wasn't he Oh, I mean, I'm sure, but but uh, conflating Crowley and Alice Bailey, I I just don't know how accurate it is. I'm not standing up for either of them, but if I find it harder to Bailey, believe that Alice Bailey was had that that bestiality flag, I just don't know if she was that strong of of a, a proponent of that. Hey, man, I understand, dude. If you want to stick up for her, she probably was a freak, dude. She probably would get down in some <laughs> nasty ways. But uh, it's fine, dude. You know, no, I, I get it, man. I think he's real freaky. You know, she was, dude. She do some weird shit. She she was like she had that preacher's daughter mentality because she was stuck with an abusive Episcopalian priest, man. You, you know, there's some there's some weird shit she would do, I'm sure. It was the perfect storm for sure. It was it was the uh yeah. the girl that grew up in like the the uptight fundamentalist Christian household and then just gets dumped in Southern California with a bunch of new age weirdos. You, you know that she she explored her herself quite a bit. Oh yeah, there were some loads blown on her. It's always the preacher's daughter, man. Always. <laughs> oh, for sure. And some of the best out there to 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 ever do it. But so uh seven here, debase art, make it run mad. Um, This is an interesting thing, too. I guess Alice Bailey understood that the arts are one of the primary keys to change culture. I would say that's absolutely true. I'm sure that you, Paranoid American, feel that there is some significant um, influence in art. You are an artist. You have a company that is dedicated to this. And uh, you use yours as a fun way to uh, take information that you probably believe to be true, which I would agree with a lot of the stuff, you know, these different theories some of them being very fringe and some of them being provable with government documents talking MK ultra versus like the star fort stuff. And like these, you know, teleportation type things um, you use it for fun, but some people could absolutely use art as a dark way to, uh, you know, move culture in one way or the other. I see it as, as uh, this is absolutely true. If you take art and if you make it not as pure as it used to be, which, yeah, there's always been some some sort of more decadent art, I guess. Right. 
but this is uh i see this to be definitely a a, a key aspect in changing culture shannon do you see any kind of merit to this you know debasing art and making the world kind of crazy well, I grew up in Chicago, man, and there's some great architecture back there from a while ago, what the houses used to look like and everything. Now you look at the buildings they build now. They're nothing nice to look at, just cold looking. They, everything used to be real warm. It's not that way anymore. Even the colors. I'm sure that Paranoid American, you know, just the color stuff they use a lot of times. They use a lot of stuff to make you feel depressed and not so good. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about like brutalism and brutalist architecture, which basically says like, take the most efficient, blocky, um, you know, forms and just put them together to cram as much people in them as possible without any real regard to like the, the aesthetics of it. Right. Um, to make people, the way you feel. Make you feel. I mean, it, it's really great for like Soviet Russia, uh, like Soviet block apartments, uh, assembly factories to just get you into that like mechanical machine. Everything fits into a box mentality. Brutalist architecture is one of those. And another thing here that um, corrupt and defile here seem like really loaded words, because when you think corrupt defile, it's like, oh, you're going to you know, make a nasty devil mustache on a nice painting of the Mona Lisa, or you're going to like take a big shit on, you know, the last supper or something, but corrupt and defile could also mean taking someone's art that meant something and was steeped in symbolism and then changing it or like knocking off one symbol or, you know, changing one symbol into another thing to, to have it lose its original meeting. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm also a pretty big and proponent, uh, proponent of the artwork can contain all sorts of formulas and information and symbols and if you came in and distorted those or corrupted and defiled those symbols you're also destroying uh part of that artwork um but i but i don't think that just like ugly art and artwork that you know doesn't have like merit to me personally uh, represents corrupt and defiled imagination i think that's more of like the guys that go in and destroy like ancient uh, statues they just completely you know smash out all the heads or go around and like smashing up tombstones and stuff like just the absolute destruction of artwork is kind of like the removal of information and that that to me is is kind of like the debasement well dude one thing that i thought about and i had to step away to go pee because all this bestiality talk you know i had to go take this <laughs> if either one of you guys gotta go pee dude feel free to just step out and go do your things man these episodes run long sometimes um but what I think of with debasing art is not only what you said, which is a great point, um, like music right now, how bad music has gotten. I mean, hip hop, I, I'm a hip hop fan, dude. I loved rap when I was this white kid in the suburbs, right? Growing up, freaking skinny little white kid, pretty privileged. I loved hip hop because it was a culture that was just so disconnected from mine. And I actually kind of liked it before a lot of my other white friends did. Right. A lot of I mean, growing up in I was born in 1991. So, you know, going through middle school in the early 2000s, there was still some popular bands. A freaking Green Day made a big run from like the 80s to, to you know, obviously early 2000s. Um, you know, you had Fallout Boy, you had all these kind of like punky bands. And then like you still had some of that old Seattle music, too. Um, you know, the grunge and all that stuff that was kind of still popular then. And now it's almost nothing but hip hop. As far as like rock bands, you have like Ghost BC and you have, um, you know, Greta Van Fleet, which they seem to kind of already have fallen off a little bit. You're not getting like these young thugs and like Lil Wayne who's still putting out <laughs> music that's popular. And 
these these hip hop artists that are kind of forming the new like they're the new great music and all that it is it's the instrumentals and like a cool hook and that's all that it is migos it's chanting type music and none of that seems very artistic to me um but maybe that's just my opinion dude i don't know but i i feel like well, it's music- funny because if you if you consider the time period that this was presumably written it would have been 1918 or 1915 or something so imagine someone listening to the music they enjoyed in the Ooh. 18 or, or the, the late 1880s or something um and then they're listening to like modern rap that you think was like really the high art form of rap they'd be like what the hell is this garbage yeah, Nicki right? minaj saying i never <laughs> yeah. fuck wayne i never fuck drake yeah dude yeah they'd be like what but i mean even even your best example right like you know cream or or some kind of like wu-tang song or like a most deaf sort of like conscious hip-hop song even that would be like compared to what they were th- when they were thinking about writing in 1915 um you know even the best most dev song would have sounded like profane garbage to them probably mm. what was cool is we all brought up different points too and then you think two movies in hollywood that's also an art form too and look at the what, oh how what they've done to that just regurgitating garbage all the time yeah, let's remake all the movies ever. I mean, the Beetlejuice I'm kind of excited for, but they're just remaking shit now. And it seems <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's like stuff that's not even old, man. It's like, really? It's crazy. Yeah, it's like 20 years old. Like, well, let's remake it. Yeah, they made like uh, Spider-Man, the same Spider-Man movie three times in like 10 years now. It's right? insane, man. Well, hey, and that rolls right into this. So it's almost like uh, you knew this was coming up, Shannon. Use media to promote and change mindset. I think that's definitely been going on and they definitely experimented with this, like with Mockingbird and all these things. But Alice Bailey supposedly said the greatest channel you need to use to change human attitude is media. Use the press, the radio, TV, cinema. You can uh, tell today how successful they've been in implementing the plan over the last 50 years via media, as well as advertising agencies, billboards and magazines. Then you look into who controls media and it is a small group that controls all these things. And they're all connected, man. And I'm sure that they're one of the 30,000 uh, theologists that's around today. Shannon thoughts. I feel like a radio my th- DJ. Yeah, my, <laughs> thought, my thoughts are you think about everything, this mindset, right? We are you know, the plans that you mentioned earlier. You got the Montauk and the MK Ultras and all the good stuff. They definitely know how your mind works now. So and they use all those things that we talk about to jack in, jack all these people in and confuse them. And really all the news is really doing is just controlling people's emotions pretty much. Mm. True. And, and also with the artwork and media, I mean, they're hand in hand, like art, art is media, media is art commercials and there's a and to bring up some some comic book references here i think it's um alan moore has a really good talk on how art is literally magic because you can take a blank slate that has nothing you know just nothing exists you can create something um using just you know a pencil and some colors you're kind of manifesting reality and then you can show that to someone and evoke emotions and you could even if you have artwork that's impressive enough um, you can cause people to like make decisions, rash decisions and and take, you know, bold actions and movements. And that alone is just manifesting reality through intent and just regular skill. And I mean, that's it's almost textbook definition of what, you know, kind of magic would be defined as. Do you remember it was the Joker for a while? A lot of those gunman guys. That was a while ago. They're all dressing up as the Joker. 
Yeah, this was the uh, one of the the movie theater shootings actually happened. Dark Knight, Batman. Too. Yeah, the Dark Knight shooting. That was in Colorado, I think, too, right in Aurora. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Aurora. Mm. Yeah, and there was a couple too. I know that dressed up as, and they did something almost a copycat thing right afterwards. There was something weird going on with that. Well, dude, there was wasn't uh, Sandy Hook, which the episode just got shut off probably by saying that. But wasn't Sandy <laughs> yeah. Hook in the background of the Dark Knight and the, the map there? <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you remember that. Yeah, I remember something like that, right? Yeah, something was. Weird shit, dude. And then you look into that deep dream stuff. Um, that Google Deep Dream, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, oh, dude, one. we can we can we can go on a fucking tangent on In that. In the man. academy and clinics. Do, well, I'm down to talk about it when we're done with this stuff if you want, because um when I was looking at have you used it for some of your Oh, big time. I'm yeah, well, not for my say. comics, but but I've used it professionally and I've used it for generating art, music, yeah. uh, copy. T- I mean, I've I've used the generate programming language before. It's it's insane. Holy like cow. Where you're, where you're looking at an image and then like it spins and then that, that same image is there. Because I when I saw you doing that, it's like, dude, that's fucking awesome. That looks really cool. And yeah, then I so, start so that one's called VQGAN and it uses something called clip for image analysis. And that, that'll get way more. Comic, but but essentially that spinning and that moving is an actual camera in 3D space, and it's saying like if this camera were in 3D space, moving at this rate and pointed this angle, tell me what it would see, and yeah. that's kind of like it's generating like things that aren't there, but then it's also saying okay, now what would it look like from this certain angle and this certain zoom? And that's how you get those cool animations, dude. So I was thinking that that was used, and yeah, we won't go off on this tangent just yet because we'll get through these ten steps. But I was thinking that the Uvalde. <laughs> The Uvalde shooter was potentially fucked with a little bit by that Operation Deep Dream stuff because there's some allegations. And Shannon and I actually talked about this in a separate episode with Ron from New England where um, allegations, big time allegations. I don't know if this is any, anything true, but the kid had a therapist that was on the payroll of Google, supposedly. And he was using this software to, to do some experimental shit with ketamine introduced to the whole thing. And who knows what the fuck's going to happen with that? So um we can sign me up bro (laughs) fucking google deep dream and ketamine sign me up (laughs) that no way dude not for me but yeah um so yeah we we covered uh this mindset and that's one of the more intricate things here there was something pretty interesting where i saw that children a lot of kids spend two to three hours in front of a screen during this time again 2017 2018 and that's why it's got to be way higher than that bro especially with with laptops and iPads and everything, there's no way that it's it's that low. Well, no. So think back in 2017, 2018, when this was written, they were probably basing this research. It says average of two hours a day, two thirds of infants and toddlers. We're talking kids. Even that she- sounds really freaking small, though, man. Because I mean, I've I've seen this is like some really crazy shit. But I've seen like toddlers in real life that are handed a book. And they sit there and they swipe the page of the book because they're so used to, you know, iPad swiping and turning pages that like a physical book in front of them is like a foreign concept. And that doesn't happen with two hours of screen time a day. Oh, sure. No, I agree. But again, this is a a few years old. Yeah, yeah. Probably using some old data. I would say that that two hours a day on average for two thirds of infants, I would say it's probably six to eight hours a day, unfortunately, because this is before these kids are in school. It might even be freaking higher than six to eight hours, but just imagine. And they're also mentioning TV and DVDs. They even say AC Nielsen, like how fucking ancient can you get? That's what I'm uh, saying. Cause now so it's is- like, we're talking Twitch and Instagram and TikTok. 
Pornhub. Not probably. five years ago, but yeah, it was. There, that's, it that's says it. 1995. It says Norman Herr, PhD, education. So Norman got his statistics in 1995, probably from 1978. Yeah. And so imagine that being school. alarming in 95 and then tell him what it's like, you know, <laughs> 10 years later. Yeah. Now the infants have two to two to four hours a day of not being in front of a screen. Dude, the, the infants have their own fucking Twitch accounts now. Yeah, dude. They got oh. their own YouTube channels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. There are some gross stuff. Kidding. Did you see? I forget. I think it was like toy. There was some some YouTube page that got busted because the guy was kind of pimping out his daughters for views because he would make them eat ice cream in a sexual way. And they were infants, dude. And this thing had like eight million subscribers on YouTube and it got shut down. Fucking disgusting, man. It shows that I think that these damn steps that these people are going through are working in their favor because the the, the culture is eroding dude we have we have very little culture here in the united states now because it all revolves around screens and look at how we're talking right now it's all screens man and i've benefited from it a little bit myself but i mean it's sad dude it's sad to see the effect that it has on society as a whole one um, thing that's cool for me is man i would never even meet you guys if we didn't have these screens that's and what that's what, I, I think it's like anything man it's how you want to use it you, if you want to use it for good or for the right things, we could use it to look, learn things, or we could look up porn all day. It's all what we want to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It could be a healthy balance, but the, but I also think constantly that uh, there's got to be something in our monkey brains, uh, if you believe in evolution, or whatever. But like, there's something in our in our physical human brains here that, like, once your body realizes, like, dude, you've been talking to a wall for three hours. Like, there's no one else in here. Like, your <laughs> your body knows that, even though your brain knows that. Like, you know, I'm talking to two people. There's got to be some like physiological part of your body. that's like something's not right. Like this guy's going crazy. He's losing his mind and, you know, all kinds of weird side effects. Like I'm, I'm convinced that there has to be some kind of mechanism that's firing right now. That's like triggering parts of my body saying like, you know, you're, you're losing grip of reality, man. Like, yeah, it's like back. you need help. Your brain's telling <laughs> you you need help, dude. Yeah. When I'm in here doing like solo episodes and I'm like fucking around because like I'll make jokes and stuff. If someone, like you said, were to come back in time, like with the music analogy that you said, and look at like what I'm doing in here in my room by myself, they'd be like, put this guy in a home. He needs you'd be Crowley, bro, compared to like 1880s standards. That's just true. a regular conversation. They'd be like, oh, this this guy is disgusting. You know, yeah, you should put him in jail. Yeah, Dude, they burn us at down. the stake, bro. Just for talking about this stuff. Yeah. In the future, we're going to be talking to people on screens and be like, what the fuck? Um, okay, so number nine here. This is one that I didn't really fully understand at all. I had to kind of read through it. Create an interfaith movement. Um, Alice Bailey wrote, and this is a quote, promote other faiths to be on par with Christianity and break this thing about Christianity as being the only way to heaven. By Christianity will be pulled. Uh, I'm sorry, by that Christianity will be pulled down and other faiths promoted. I see that absolutely going on right now. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, she goes on to say, um, promote the importance of man and in determining his own future and destiny. Humanism, which I, I see that kind of as transhumanism. Uh, tell man he has the right to choose what he wants and uh, to choose what he wants to be. And he can make it happen. He has the right to determine his cause. So, um, yeah, I see this as kind of being some transhumanist. Uh, there's some transhumanist properties to it. 
I don't know what your thoughts are, Shannon, and then uh, Paranoid American will get yours. But yeah, it seems like this is definitely going on. Well, if they really want to do Usher in uh, one world religion, then all these other religions that they have out here are going to have to go. So the only way they could do that is try to intermingle them all together, take little bits and pieces from Christianity, throw it with Hinduism, with Buddhism, just mix it all up. Such a, so it's such a hodgepodge and confuses everybody that you just accept it. You know, nothing that's, that's why like even that prayer that we were looking at earlier from Olusa's trust, that invocation, it's like, even if you look at the lo- the wording, there's such yep. masters of manipulating everything where, Hey, it's not going to offend you, but dude, you're doing something that they don't won't tell you what you're doing i don't know what you're doing but it's not good that's the way i think about all this stuff man well yeah i pulled up this image here because you know taking little bits and pieces from each religion and incorporating it into one thing that's what they're doing here you've got the hexagram um <laughs> you know time and and infinity with the ouroboros the sanskrit or the swastika but in sanskrit that was what that was hope right or power i think um Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a positive symbol, a similar. Well, to and, and outside of Sanskrit, I mean, there almost every uh, culture on the planet that that dates back more than a thousand years has had some kind of version of this. Hopi Indians had it. Um, Celtics had it. A lot of. People yeah, it used to be a symbol. Someone used to wear it for a good luck charm. I'm not even sure who it was. I don't know if that was the Celtics. Or... And, if, and if you look at a lot of like old, especially around this time, right, because I'm assuming that that um, this emblem they probably baked up around the origin of their publishing company, which was between like 1918 and 1922. And if you look at like Manly Palmer Hall or, or Blavatsky books from around the same time, they've got those exact same swastikas lining around the edges of the pages. It was a very common um, way. It was, it was just like a, it was like um, having like the Apple logo, right? Like on the, mm-hmm. on the back of your car, the little Apple sticker. It's like, I'm an Apple user. Like you would have the swastikas around your stuff. You'd be like, I'm an esoteric reader, you know? Oh boy. And that wouldn't, that wouldn't float too well today. No, you no, also, wouldn't. You have the ink too, right? I mean, that's kind of what that symbolizes to me. And then um, help me out with this one up top. I forget what this is called. This- oh, you're putting me on the spot. I don't know. Do you happen to know, Shannon, for those listening, that, it's the that's, three. That's some kind I would say is, um, ties into the muslim language or something somehow i don't know but did you see the big snake around it eating itself yeah the oral the oral time and and infinity right and then even with the hexagram which i was learning with the freemason stuff that one pointing upside down is it represents the female and also darkness and then what's uh, in this what's the one in the center mean that looks like an egyptian symbol that's the onk the onk okay yeah whatever yeah, dude, it's uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that kind of represents God too, right? That's in uh, yeah, I mean, th- this is this is a just a visual representation of that first um idea of theosophy of that you just want to blend like the Eastern and the Western religions into right. just one and, universal theory of some kind. And the two triangles, one is male, one is female, probably. Am I right or am I off base? Yeah, I mean, it kind of represents duality in a number of different ways. You've got right. air and water, you've got white and dark. Um, Men and women. Inverse, inverse, yeah. it's It, it kind of just represents the concept of dualism in, in a symbol in a million different ways. Yeah, light and dark, and then the the upside down cross is actually the the more positive one, where the right side up cross is more kind of the demonic thing in it. One thing I learned too, looking into this Freemasonry stuff, is that that bottom represents Osiris, the top two, uh, the ones going up represent Isis, and then the peak is Ra, the sun god, right? So you got like that Egyptian trinity right there. 
um, sort of similar to the the Christian well, and you, Holy Trinity. And, and for Freemasonry, um, you've also got the Pythagorean theorem, or they call it the twenty seventh proposition of Euclid, which states that just like the Pythagorean theorem, but it breaks it down into um, like an esoteric teaching. So instead of having the the hypotenuse and the adjacent and the leg, um, the hypotenuse is essentially God, and then the the adjoining um, adjacent is like the Holy Spirit, and the other one is like Jesus. So they just, it's, it's so cool because they take this symbol and then it can relate to an actual Pythagorean theorem. And then they also attribute it to this kind of like mythological combination of the father, the son, the Holy ghost. Yeah, dude, it's wild. So just because Shannon said that about like the borrowing of each religion, I wanted to pull that up and we might as well pull up this new one too. Um, the newer symbol, which is really crazy. And, and it's represented with, uh, I'm waiting for my email to refresh here. But it's represented, of course, with the blue and uh, the blue and yellow, which you see with, you know, Ukraine, you see it over and over again. Um, freaking emails going slow as hell, man. But uh, we'll wait for it to pull up. But anyway, um, we can move on here to the next next little number. Oh, here it came just right when I'm ready to move on. OK, Shannon, you sent me this one, too. This was cool, dude. And I'll pull this up so that. Uh, paranoid american can see this yeah one. i love having visuals i'm very visual yeah me too man I, uh, all my episodes are mostly audio but i feel like we describe these well enough and then i always post links if we're describing pictures this is the new logo of the uh the theology and and really mm. the not the theosophical society but this is the uh lucius trust logo and you see a lot of shit in here and the way that they break it down is great um the center cross is kind of a bastardization of the Christian cross from the way that they make it sound. It's the new era Christ. And it's not the elongated bottom. It's just a regular symmetrical cross. Um, all sides are equal. And then moving out from the center here, you have a blue pentagram, um, which is the uh, blue pentacle star of humanity. And then after that, you have a yellow triangle, the hierarchical triangle of booty, which it's not the ass. I don't know what booty is. Is that just Buddhism? <laughs> I think so. I'm not. I'm not in. Yeah, the, uh, I, in the I don't know either. I think so, though. <laughs> I think that's what it's doing. It's combining them all. OK, so, yeah, you've got already you've got a few references to things. You got some Satanism in here, Luciferianism, specifically with the right side up pentagram, the cross, which is removed and, and changed into a different symbol altogether. Then after the triangle, you have uh, a bigger golden circle, the golden disc of Shambhala, which that's Islam, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have the blue second field ray of solar lo logos or lagos. Um, that would be solar worship, sun worship stuff. And then the biggest one, the, the larger cross is the uh, cross of Sirius, Eastern star, little luciferianism in there so luciferianism and sun worship is the largest thing with the new era christ being the smallest so that was just kind of an interesting symbol this is a new age version of the lucius trust so i mean you you say smallest and biggest but you could also say that um the cosmic or the the new era cross is at the center of everything and that the cosmic cross is on the exterior Okay. I mean, yeah, that well, and that makes sense too, because like within these kind of esoteric teachings and like especially in Freemasonry and things, they portray things as one way. And it's really oftentimes the opposite, right? Like you you peel back meanings. I think it was uh Carl Claudi that said you can peel 
meanings back and you can find a second meaning within a first and and then you can find a third and a fourth. And I think his direct quote is, you know, who shall know how many teachings there really are to one, (laughs) one simple quote. Yeah, dude. It's also, I, whenever this kind of thing comes up, that was a a great example of a symbol too, because it's like everything under the sun. Um, It's essentially like the crucifix of many different religions combined into one super crucifix. But there's also this concept of like cold reading, uh, like, like I don't know if you remember those those old TV shows from like the late 90s, 2000s, where uh, the guy would come out and like talk to dead people. And he'd be oh like, boy. yeah, I'm, I'm hearing, a, a, you know, a Samantha who out there is missing. And, you know, someone put their hand up yeah. and it's just all cold reading. They would just like kind of like put feelers out there. And once they hit on something, they would just like keep, you know, baking into that one thing that they hit on. And it's a lot of sort of like rhetoric, like we mentioned before. Um, and and cold reading techniques and i think that a lot of these like esoteric symbols they do the same kind of thing like they they know that if i just throw like eight really um like abstract esoteric symbols into this thing i don't even have to know what they all mean together and if i just float it out into the world like people will attribute all of these meanings onto them so you can kind of just like vaguely compile this amalgamation of stuff which I think is a lot of different guys did it. Manly, uh, Manly P. Hall did it. Lucius Trust did it. Um, and then it's just like, hey, let's see how people receive this. And then uh, at the best, you can just be like, oh, if you don't get what's in it, then it's just a little bit higher than your consciousness. You know, you just can't perceive it. Um, yeah, but if someone else, yeah, bro. But, the, but then if someone else is like, oh, I can see everything in it, you could be like, are you sure? Go ahead and look at it again. And you don't have to be pinned down to know what everything that is in it. You know what I mean? Well, it goes to that thing, the the first point here where she's like, if you can afford God, right, if one can afford the additional knowledge like that, that was one thing where, you know, so, yeah, that it just kind of cycles back. Can, to that. can you afford to not work for three days and just stare at this symbol and make a list of everything it means? Yeah. Or do you have to go and like feed your family this week? Yeah, dude. Crazy shit, man. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting one. That was good of you to bring that up, Shannon, just all the, the borrowing of different religions. Did you get your thoughts in on, on that one? I think that we were kind of just kind of all going back and forth. Did you actually say how you feel about this interfaith movement? Paranoid American? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that we covered it. One thing that that's not very explicit here, though, is that like Christianity itself um, had a, a mechanism of interfaith where like as Christianity evolved over 2000 years, they, you know, they absorbed other pagan rites and other religions and kind of adopted them as their own. And this lady is almost just saying like, you keep doing that, but then instead of Christianity leading the way, it's like all other religions start absorbing each other, but which, but what's left out of here. And I'd be interested to know if she even had an approach on this, but like, that's fairly easy to do when you're always consolidating things into monotheism. But once you start, saying like no there's actually more than one god it's very very hard to consolidate the concept of like there's a whole pantheon of gods versus there's just like the one dude that i talked to that seems like such an irreconcilable um difference that that it's left out here like it's it's a lot easier to say like let's combine all of the judeo-christian religions into one massive religion and maybe even uh like egyptology in some ways but once you get into every other pagan religion it's not so easy yeah then you think too man she was influenced by all those other people before her too so a lot of times she's just really just regurgitating them well, she traveled the world looking for this shit, man. You know what I mean? Similar to Blavatsky. I mean, they, they, they are very similar. And obviously, you know, Bailey being so influenced by by Blavatsky. But, 
yeah, it is interesting that they did kind of try and portray her as poor, but she's a world traveler. It's like, what the fuck? How are you traveling the world if you're poor? You know what I mean? That, that's and not never just that, but then, then she married into wealth uh, every step of the way as well. And she married up, dude. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 10 is uh, is wild. Uh, the final commandment of these uh, New World Order bastards is get governments to make all these law and get the church to endorse these changes. The church obviously referring to the Vatican because that is the largest church in the world. And dude, they're fucking, they're going wild right now. They're talking about how, you know, God made the vaccine and all this stuff. You know, it's insane the things that they're putting out there. And Alice Bailey wrote, I guess this is another direct quote, that the church must change its doctrine and accommodate the people by accepting these things and put them into its structures and systems. So, you know, it finishes off here asking if they succeeded. I say that they're pretty damn close, man. I don't know if they've fully succeeded. Um, but yeah, man, that, that's not really one that, that we would um, kind of all go back and forth on because like this is just kind of a statement saying, you know, get the churches to accept these as law and and also the countries as well. This dude, though, is very key in that whole final step. This Dr. Robert Mueller. This dude's freaking weird, man. Um, one of the darkest characters in this whole thing Basically, what it says is that um, he wants this to be taught in schools. You know, um, Dr. Robert Mueller, former assistant secretary general of the United Nations and chancellor of the United Nations University for Peace is the chairperson of the Peace Party in 2000. Now, he passed away, uh, I want to say in 2010 or so. Um, but yeah, he's he's long gone. Um he wants he wants this in school. Robert Mueller's School of Education program would uh, hopefully be enforced by the United Nations in there if their will was carried out. This means that soon your kids will be learning from the same books of Alice A. Bailey, or at least the 10 point plan of Alice Bailey. And this will be put forth in schools. So I don't know, man. I think it's going on, dude. It seems like it's definitely happening, but dark stuff. And um Shit, that 20 minutes turned into an hour and a half, dude. We're not even done yet. <laughs> I appreciate you sticking it out with us, man. This is interesting shit. I love, I mean, I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I appreciate it, dude. And, and you have a, a unique knowledge base of it. Um, just like, you know, Shannon does great research and finds some great links. Um, and I just kind of regurgitate the stuff, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I do appreciate, you know, the help with this episode because it's a deep thing, man. And we talked a little bit about the meditation room. And just what that represents, there's a black cube in the center of this damn thing. You know, it's not exactly a cube, but it, it's making reference to the black cube. And it's some weird image on a wall that apparently you're supposed to go in there and pray and invoke this, what they make to seem like the Antichrist, the single world leader that's going to unite everyone under one body, right? I don't know. Um, any It's closing? fucking weird, dude. It's fucking weird. It's very hard to come up with like a a rational explanation that um you know it doesn't it doesn't have to bring up like oh well this room is because this lady had a voice that talked to her from tibet and she wrote 24 books that were dictated she didn't write them a tibetan monk halfway around the world you know telepathically conveyed this to her it gets into like the uh um like the mormon um origin story where like yeah. the guy finds the gold plates and then like a, a magical entity or like a like a an angel helps him like translate the gold plates there's yeah. kind of like this element of that to it as well and one thing i heard too was that it was 19 books that she wrote with the tibetan dude and then there was the five that that were written separately 
So I don't know if your research contradicts that, but I just found it interesting that there was 19 because as we were talking about 19 is the alpha and omega thing, the one and the nine, that's when the numer numerological system resets um, where you go from, you know, one to nine and then 10. So it kind of resets there and then 10 to 19 resets from that. It, so alpha and omega 19 is the number of submission. You see 19 with like the 19 hijackers, the 19 kids shot in Uvalde, COVID-19. You see it over and over again with these ritualistic things. Um, did you see that it was actually 24 books written with the Tibetan? Uh, I didn't see that that was. I just know that she had written 24 books total, uh, okay. total. But I didn't know how many was. I mean, I don't believe any of them were dictated to sure. her by a Tibetan <laughs> dude. So uh, 24, 19, I don't really care. What Same shit. Says. And 24 is <laughs> Kobe. Kobe dog. So yeah, no, you got you got some interesting symbolism in there, man. But dude, any closing thoughts um for either of you guys or anything else you just wanted to throw out talking about the Lucius Trust and and all the weird shit that we kind of went over for the last 2 hours? It's the rabbit hole that keeps on giving, dude. It never ends. It is a freaking black hole, dude. It expands forever. It doesn't seem like there is any end to how weird this not only the Theosophical Society, but the um the Lucius trust and dude, we didn't even get into the three, like the arcane school and the triangle and oh. the uh, good world. Goodwill. I don't know if you guys wanted to go over these quickly. Um, I got the site. I, I watched up. a couple of videos from the Lucius trust, but it, it would get, it was getting a little bit woo woo <laughs> for my, for my taste, uh, at least uh, in prep for this particular episode here. Um, yeah. But the one, the one thing that really, was interesting to me is that if you go to Lucis Trust, they have a page there that breaks down the esoteric um, symbolism of the word Lucifer. I don't know if you can search for the word Lucifer in there, if the page will come up, but they do everything they can at the at the beginning of the page to be like, well, you know, we've always been called the Lucis Trust. It's never been called. Yeah, there we go. It's never been called the Lucifer Trust. And we're not really sure if she meant to call this, you know, Lucifer and Lucis. But then it's, <laughs> but then they say, oh, but she like was totally in love with Blavatsky and loved Blavatsky's version of Lucifer. And then it goes on to talking about um, how fallen angels were actually not bad angels that fell from grace, but they, that they fell from heaven as the ultimate sacrifice, almost like Jesus dying for our sins. It, there's kind of like this conflation of like, Oh, fallen angels sacrifice themselves. So Lucifer was actually like another sort of Christian consciousness that sacrificed himself for this Promethean fire. It, it was just interesting because like, again, if you read like the first two sentences, they're like, Oh, Lucifer. No, no, that's, that was kind of like, we don't really know why they picked that name. And then the last two paragraphs is like, Oh no, she loved it. That's why she picked the name. She loved the concept of fallen angels. Dude, it's wild. It says it right on this website. It says when Allison Foster Bailey, that was her husband that we didn't really touch on much because he was uh, not there's not as much readily available well, information. Well, I wanna, and I want to point out, too, that that that's that um, stuck out to me as very important because like on her wiki page, it's got everything about her and a lot of yeah. people she um, worked with. You can link around to them. Her husband he wrote a whole bunch of very significant Masonic books. He got yeah. to a 33rd degree Mason, which is an honorary degree, 32nd degree. Any Joe Schmo can get to with enough, you know, practice, but 33, you have to be specifically invited. It's, it's like a way of, 
um it would be like getting knighted or something in yeah. england like like it's it's a very honorary thing that's not a, a small deal and the fact that he was a 33rd degree mason and that he had written all of these different uh very popular masonic books i mean there's i can't ignore the this thought of like maybe he was the power behind all this and yeah. the one that knew the guys at the un and knew the guys at the publishing company and like had all this happen and it was like I need to keep my wife busy. She's really into this astrology and numerology shit. She's talking about writing some book with a Tibetan dude. Let me yeah. just like let her go wild with that. And while she's doing that, I'm going to set up my homeboys in the UN and we're going to get a trust going and we're going to get, you know, some kind of like machinations uh, in movement here for this legacy that I want to build. Well, he so definitely I don't know. was the one connected to the UN. That was one thing that I did find. So you're right about that. But but any research you do into this, everything's like Alice Bailey, Alice Bailey. It pushes yeah. you to Alice Bailey. But it's like, you know, did was she really pulling the strings here or was she just the one that was writing in the room all day? Well, that's the one. Well, she yeah, she was getting all the information. Maybe this Tibetan was Foster. I mean, that we could even go as far as to say that. Like, that's a good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And but they just refer to him as some other entity. But yeah, because how much uh, credibility would you have if it was like, oh, yeah, it was my husband that's, you know, here with me in Southern California versus, oh, I'm getting these mystical teachings from some ancient, you know, Buddhist in Tibet. Yeah, and that may or may not be real, but it's wild that they say right here on the site. When Allison Foster Bailey were beginning to publish books, obviously for their esoteric works, um, they were publishing under the name of the fledgling publishing company, Lucifer Publishing Company. So they say it right here. That's what it was. And by 1925, the name was changed to Lu Lucius or Lucas Publishing Company. And it was uh, it's remained that ever since. So and then that's where the Lucius Trust comes from is the renaming. But but I mean, that goes to that. My implication here is that if they had never renamed it from the Lucifer Publishing Company, then this would be called the Lucifer Trust and not the yep. Lucius Trust. And that's what it is at the roots, man. It is. It's a Luciferian yeah. agenda, right? Yeah, so, fucking potato tomato, right? Exactly. And you see this up here, Paranoid American, that symbol that we were kind of discussing. That's I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I think it's a little bit it's a little bit heavy handed. It's just like a hat on a hat on a hat. Yeah, there's that, a lot going on. Phrase? There. Yeah, it's like. We get the idea. You could have left a couple of those out. It's a little bit heavy handed, but whatever. It's just everything. It's like that's throw it all at the fucking wall. And <laughs> yeah. I just want to be super inclusive. That's all they this, care about. This is like when you tell your uh, your three or four year old, like, go make dinner for mommy and daddy. Right. And they just put like every fucking ingredient in the kitchen into a big bowl. That's kind of what this is to me. This is the uh, the freaking religious rainbow flag here. They got all the <laughs> shit in there. It's the it's the original coexist bumper sticker. Exactly. Well said. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, they do go on to talk about they, that Lucifer and Lucius both have the same root word meaning light. Again, a reference to Lucifer. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? Um, yeah, there's some great things on here. They talk about the arcane school. Um, one thing that was fascinating was this triangles. And if you want, you can become a triangle. And basically what it is, it's three people. Um, I like this too. form a triangle online. Have you tried forming a triangle, but been unable to find two like-minded people? Hey, we're a triangle right here. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it. we're a triangle right now, man. Um, to link with. If so, you might consider using our password protected web page to find others. If you hit. Can we can we hook up with some others right now? Uh, I mean, we can read more. I'm not going to do it because I don't want to get involved with these freaks. <laughs> anyone involved, anyone that's interested can do it in their own time. But really, it, it is, again, reference to that Egyptian triangle and the pyramid with Osiris, Isis and Ra 
Um, and and but they they took that and they made it you know into their own thing that seems like it's just this great positive thing where it's like therapeutic. If you're if you feel like an outcast, you can find two like minded individuals that can you know you guys can talk about all this spiritual shit, and you know you won't feel like such an outcast. So that's one of these little subsets of the uh, Lucius Trust. Arcane School is very interesting. You kind of go through it um, led by someone that is higher up so like it would be kind of like if we're going to try and compare it to masonry you're you're a a 10th degree being led around by a 12th degree you know what i mean and then that 12th degree would be led around by a 14th or 15th or whatever someone higher up teaches these lower level folks on the ways of the lucius trust um you had a really good analogy there too of um like this is kind of the information that would normally make you an outcast and you're finding other people that are interested in this weird outcast. Like I've like the very similar thing with like masonry, it's almost like a, like a chess club or a math club, right? Like if you just go out into public and you're like, Hey, who here wants to, to play some chess or some math? It's such a small niche group that you'd almost have to seek out uh, a whole bunch of other, you know, chess nerds or math nerds. And it's almost, it's that same thing where like you'd seek out masonry, you would seek out the Lucius trust, I assume, because you're interested in just weird shit that on, only a small other demographic is interested in. So you have to find where they, they kind of congregate. It's like a bowling club, except they have kind a of, lot of yeah, kind of, a, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fancy hats. Yeah. That's funny, dude. And blood. And, um, <laughs> This was the final one, and this was the one that you seem to be a little more interested in, Shannon. Um, did you look into them much or just kind of come to the conclusion that it's more of that same, you know, fake hippie dippy shit that's really satanic at its core? Yeah, that's what it seemed like. I only can take so much of that shit, man. And it's like I need to take a break. Yeah. Well, here's a really weird dynamic for me. When we if you step back and look at this whole Lucis Trust as a whole, like I think all of us have seen new agey material that reads exactly like this does just different words different people yeah but this one is so unique because it's fucking housed at the un and essentially endorsed by like this global conglomerate quasi governmental agency and there's not big money but but i mean like like a lot of other new age movements they are at surface level um, like homegrown and sort of like out in the commune and living with nature and they've separated themselves from government and structure and hierarchies but this one's like a full embrace of like we love daddy government and we want to get rid of and we want this new age everything it's yeah. such a weird i wonder are there any actual normal people that are part of this or is it just all rich people and un delegates and politicians and it's almost like a like a like a like a fucking money laundering front but just as a new age version of like it a cult i mean oh. yeah but it's but it would be like i don't know like who would be into new agey movements and the first choice is like i'm gonna go to the un building and join the un building's new age movement like why wouldn't you start with something a little bit more counterculture i don't know it, it seems like a really strange group to oh, still it, exist you hit the nail on the head it is money laundering and i think that that's pretty well known there was something mind-blowing here that i was reading through and admittedly i didn't read through this whole article it's called the lucius trust satanism and the new world order this is by scott thompson and there's some incredible revelations in here that this dude was connected this this evil bishop i guess he's the cathedral of saint john the divine and to new um, york in New York, yeah, he was the Episcopalian. I love arch- the, the Episcopagan. I love that word right there on the right. <laughs> Where? 
the th- right there um the third oh, the third lineup a piscopagan what a great word <laughs> that is a nice that's a freaking new uh comic book series for you dude um but yeah no you got the episcopalian archdiocese of new york this is a power player and his name is uh bishop paul moore and get this fucking family is the heir to the Nobis- nabisco freaking fortune dude and they were connected with the people's temple jim jones I mean, this is all cult-like behavior that you see kind of repeated. And this dude was, you know, connected with the well, Lucius oh, Trust. Pe- People's Temple is such a great reference here, too, because they 100% believed in the breakdown of the family union. They would, um, I don't know if you ever heard of, like, the Oneida um, cult that was in, I think, upstate New York. They make, like, plates and silverware and shit. If you ever look at the back of a fancy plate and it says the Oneida Company. Uh-uh. But they had a similar cult where, like, they would all get together in a huge um, mass. And, like, the leader would basically say, "I, you know, I like Ryan over there and Sally. Like, you two would make a good kid. You're going to be a couple now. You go and make kids. Yes. And, like, you didn't really have any say over it. And then once you did have kids, they were the property of the entire community that raised them. Um, and a very, very similar yeah. thing happened with the People's Temple and Jim Jones. He had very similar dynamics where he would pull up a husband and wives and berate the husband and tell the wife, like, come up here with me or go over there with that guy, just as this way to continuously break up the family unit and make everything like this homogenous village of people that could just intermingle with each other. Well, you saw that you've seen that in, I mean, throughout history, like in Rome, when there was a, an attractive woman that the that the Caesar wanted she would be for Rome. Right. And like the, the chick would have to leave their family or whatever. And the, the Caesar would get to bang them. You know what I mean? Um, it's a great way to say that a girl's really hot. Just say she's for Rome. I love <laughs> hearing that, you know, but dude, um, this guy going back to Jim Jones, I, that was a sampling for sure. I mean, it's pretty much undeniable CIA connections. It was to see how effective a charismatic leader can carry out these things and now this has reached the highest freaking levels of society the united nations international government and there is a branch that is a cult leader under this alice bailey and probably realistically foster as we just discussed but you see some other connections you see the uh sufi freemasons am i pronouncing that right the sufis yeah i don't know if that's that's a that's a strange combination to say sufi freemasons because there's there's Sufism, which is like a very deep occult um, sect in itself. But then to also say Sufi Freemasons is, is a little bit weird. Mm, okay. I'm sure yeah. there's such things, but it, it seems like such a tiny niche of people. It would be like the guys that got together in the fucking horse barn, all six of them once a year. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see that maybe, you know, there are these groups of people that are very very small but they have i mean we we all know about the one percenters what about that point oh 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 one percent or whatever you know there's these tiny groups that seem to have some power but yeah man um i think it was you that brought up jim jones and so i just figured we can throw in uh you know the people's people's uh little temple here and it's connected man and you see it repeated there's a this is a great article which i'll share because we're in the patreon segment now obviously but you know i'll share this with everybody written back in 18 uh 1989 Interesting shit, man. And like like Shannon said, it is a rabbit hole that just expands and, and it's never ending. Um, I don't know, dude. Crazy, crazy. If, stuff. if you were to just walk up to a normal person that doesn't believe in any kind of conspiracy theories and you said there's a publishing company called the Lucifer Publishing Company <laughs> that then set up a trust and that trust has a meditation room 
inside the UN that exists today and in, and the corporation still exists today. And if you even go on their website, it says, yes, our name is derived from the concept of Lucifer and that our founder believed in fallen angels and that fallen angels made a sacrifice. And she also was dictated uh, 19 books telepathically. Like all of that stuff added together. Someone would just be like, dude, fucking get, get back on your meds. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> but like, this isn't even uh, like speculative. This is all just like fully, ex you know, explained on Lucis Trust own website. History backs it up. Her books back it up. Her autobiography. It's undisputed. But it's just one of those things. It's like it sounds so freaking weird at the surface level that you're like, I don't believe it you about any of this. But it's the all UN. true. The UN backs it up. I mean, it's not just even like their website, which is an authoritative right. source to an extent. The UN is arguably one of these like kind of like feared organizations. They admit that this is a real room. There's photos of the room. There's a lot of proof. And yeah, you would be called crazy to the average person if you said that this was real. But I mean, we just spent almost three fucking hours talking about all this stuff and the roots and where it comes from, where it's going, potentially. Um fascinating stuff, dude. And um, I'm I'm really honored to have both you guys on as always. Um, this is like the longest conversation that that you and I have had here, Paranoid American. And then Shannon and I talk all the time. This is fun stuff, dude. Um, this is this is the kind of shit that I'm really interested in lately. And uh, For real, me too. Yeah, dude. It, and it, it does. If, kinda... if you want to keep winding this back uh, deeper, man, there's a whole topic that I'd love to go out on. And that's that's essentially Albert Pike's version of all this, because he was attributed <laughs> of saying very similar shit about Lucifer, which may or may not have been accurate but it, it would have been like predated this just a little bit well dude you know i we we kind of talked about this a little bit and we didn't want to make it seem forced or anything we've brought it up several times you know a lot about the freemasons right i mean yeah well yeah so so i i've been a freemason for over a decade so i i know a little bit but i'm i'm like a baby still 32nd degree though right that's that doesn't seem baby it doesn't sound like it, but that can happen in a year. You can go from first degree to 32nd degree in the course of one year if you if you put your work in. Okay. And yeah, so you gotta you gotta kill like 32 babies, I think, and then they they put you up there. Gotcha. So that's so that's something that you're into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um obviously we're joking, but I mean, do you do you feel like, and maybe this is something you're not comfortable kind of disclosing? Do you feel like this is a Luciferian organization at its core? Because it seems like they do say that they are, and Albert Pike definitely has said that they are. Maybe well, so I I've tried to do a really deep dive on Albert Pike and come up with the source of that. And and to be clear, he said some extremely repugnant things in the in the newspaper that he was editor at and publisher of. Um, about all sorts of horrible topics he had a really nasty attitude towards um towards uh blacks uh even like post civil war era he just he was not the greatest guy in the world although he was he was a very complex person wasn't um, he in the kkk that was alleged big time that's another but that's one i spent like a month doing a deep dive onto that Yes and no. It's it's such a fucking it would be an entire different conversation. Okay. The, the long story of that was that there's been like four or five different KKKs. The very first one was supposed to be all about like esoteric knowledge and secret societies and, and like, you know, woo woo shit like weird Freemasonic Blavatsky Bailey woo woo shit. 
Um, but unfortunately, when they all got together for the first time, it was just like staunch racists, and they just immediately got into like fist fights at their very first KKK meeting, and then completely broke up. And then the second and the third and the fourth um, sort of reinstatements of it were just completely based on uh, racist actions. But the very first one, and the one that Albert Pike is the most sort of related to in all those um, articles. It's it's a lot harder to attribute it to just being the same kind of KKK that most people conjure up of like the hillbilly with the grand wizard and the burning crucifix and chasing um, minorities out of town. It was it was a slightly different dynamic, but it only existed for like a year or something. It was like a blip in time compared to the rest of them. But anyways, Dude, I would, story of, not to interrupt ahead. you real quick. I, I would love to have you back on to talk about that history of the KKK if you're familiar with it, because that is fascinating. I didn't even know that at all. It's crazy. Yeah, I would love to, man. It's crazy. It's it's a topic that I'm not really close to at all, okay. but it really was rooted in, man, like I've been a Freemason for over a decade, um, specifically Scottish Rite, and there would be no Scottish Rite without Albert Pike. And then therefore, does that mean that anything that Albert Pike did or wrote is indirectly or directly, you know, influencing everything that I've learned? Um, and like, if I'm even donating <clears throat> my annual dues, right, is that going to some racist uh extension of like the original kkk founder ultimately i don't think that's true but he was absolutely a horrible problematic man of his time um but i don't think it's the same as saying he was like a grand wizard of kkk or anything and i also on that same note like that that kkk claim and his talk about lucifer is always conflated the lucifer um source I'm almost certain that it came from a guy named Leo Taxel and Leo Taxel um, just made a whole bunch of crazy rumors that was trying to defame both the Vatican and Freemasonry at the same time. He was pitting them against each other to make them both look like complete idiots by saying like, you know, haha, Vatican, you believed this stupid rumor I made up and haha, Freemasonry, I made you look like a bunch of idiots in front of the Vatican. Well, he was a and- Jesuit and he wrote the he wrote the book called Satan, the Freemason. Uh, right. It was called the mysteries of Freemasonry that he wrote in French. And then, it, and then he brought, I've actually crazy enough. Yeah. Leo Taxel, if I'm not mistaken, was a, I've Jesuit. actually got an original copy of Leo Taxel's. Whoa. Uh, it's not going to show up here. Oh dude. I'd love to get a picture uh, of that though. Uh, but I've got an original copy from like the 1800s, but unfortunately oh. it's in Spanish. So it's going to take me a little while to, uh, to work through it. Wow. Wow, it's a thick book, too. Damn, dude. That's pretty freaking cool, huh, Shannon? That's pretty, it's like some insane, like... Yeah, dude, that's some, like, super arcane old stuff, man. Wow. Interesting, man. Yeah, no, um... Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on, dude. I'd like to hear more about that uh, KKK stuff, and it sounded like you wanted to talk a little bit about Albert Pike. If you want to get into that a little here, I mean, I'm... I'm down well, actually, if, I'd, we're running, if we're going to go on a tangent, I'd love to go on like an AI deep dream tangent because because that's something that I am intimately familiar with that I don't I don't think you'd have a whole bunch of other people on that would know as much about it. OK, well, and I just did want to give Shannon the opportunity if you're if you're if we're running long for you, Shannon, you can hop off, dude. I'll still send you the episode when we're done, but no pressure to stay on, dude. Cool, man. You guys can talk, dude. It's all good. I'll bounce and eat some dinner over here. It was nice to meet you, Mr. Paranoid American. You take care of yourself. Likewise, Shannon. Thank you you so much, man. Great conversation. For sure. For sure. Then I'll talk to you, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, bro. Absolutely, man. I'll shoot you the episode so you can post it on Secret Squirrel. 
and sounds uh, good yeah we'll get that rocky man i do want to hear about ai then if we're uh gonna go down a different rabbit hole yeah check this out this is the uh the spanish version of leo taxel's book this is the original one of the original printings of it that's cool man holy shit and it's got me it's got the the classic image here it is i got a bookmarked here but here was one of his um the biggest proponents one of here's freemasons worshiping baphomet dude let me take a picture of this on the screen real quick that is that's a cool picture wow dude yeah that is insane crazy good That's shit super sweet all wow. right gentlemen yeah have a good one adios amigo thanks for having me bro take care pay paranoid american yeah thank you so much shannon i'll talk to you again soon hopefully for sure adios later brother so ai dude this is a complete transition to something different well, you mentioned transhumanism, but you also mentioned uh, Google Deep Dream at some point. Yeah. Uh, what was the context of that again? That the, oh, that someone might have been like uh, programmed by using Deep Dream. Well, so we were talking about you know just transhumanism when they were referring to humanism, uh, and that was in all caps with the humanism, and it seemed like you know they're trying to bring God down and then also prop man up so that eventually they'll invert. Right? God will be lower than man. Is is what. I gathered from it and I was thinking, um, you know, I kind of went off on a tangent when we got into that. And I was thinking that there was some credible seeming theories that this Uvalde shooter was programmed in one way or another. There's so many anomalies with the whole situation. And, you know, you see some deep dream allegations with his therapist. Um, We actually did an episode on the uh, Uvalde shit again ron from new england was on there shannon was on there and i found a um who people online were claiming was his therapist this guy's therapist i forget his name right now but it's in the uvalde episode one of the recent ones that one of the recent episodes that we did and um there are some there's some wild shit that they do i'll see if i can actually pull up this group um just for you to see but they talk the it's a psychological operation type situation not a psyop but this building with these doctors and these psychologists also focuses on spirituality and trying to get deep down within people's souls so that they can find the true root of their problem and then there were some allegations that the dude was funded by google that was running this whole thing and that his his specific psychologist was funded by google and he was using this deep dream stuff and again, this is all shit that I just read online. I, I didn't come up with it. And I, I alleged the fuck out of it as I was saying it, because I know that that's slippery stuff to talk about. Um, but this was just something that I thought was very interesting. And then you start looking into deep dream and it's mixing hypnosis with artificial intelligence. And it was making these computers essentially trip out because if there is some form of intelligence and you give this this intelligence some code, that would be the equivalent of a human tripping on on acid. That yeah, this, seems like so this. This is a, a topic that's so near and dear to my, my heart. I like. I mean, I've I'm fallen fully in love in a, in maybe good and bad ways with like the machine learning AI over the last like two or three years. And the way that it works is absolutely terrifying. I think it's gonna it's gonna destroy us all. Absolutely. Like, there's no question in my mind. But the the deep dream, the way that it works, is is so kind of interesting and. When you talk about like the, I've never heard that before that Deep Dream was used in some kind of like mind programming, but it would make sense 
because the way that it essentially works, I'm going to try to oversimplify it grossly here, but the way that Deep Dream works is you can take any image of anything and then say, um, like a lot of the crazy ones, they usually will have like dogs or, or like humans kind of like coming out of this like weird yeah. abstract patterns. And what Deep Dream is doing is saying, take this image, let's say it's a, a picture of the ocean, right? And it's saying, on this image of the ocean, find anything that's a little bit like this other thing. And in this case, we'll say a dog's face. So on this picture of an ocean, find anything at all that might look like a little bit like a dog's face and make it even more dog facey. And it just keeps doing that over and over. And if you can imagine like a human laying down and looking up at the clouds and saying, I'm going to see a bunch of faces and you start kind of like seeing faces come out. And then if you say, okay, now I want to see a bunch of like shapes of different fruits, you can kind of like force your brain and your eyes to see fruit shapes in these clouds. So what Deep Dream is doing that exact same thing that kind of humans do, where it's it's trying to recognize patterns. And once it recognizes a pattern, it tries to keep reinforcing that pattern over and over. And that reinforcing aspect is, is an actual very literal feedback loop where it's like, here's a version of it. Let me send it to this algorithm and tell me if the algorithm believes that it looks like a dog or not. Yeah, yeah. A perfect example. So what yeah, it did is it, it took a picture of Mona Lisa and it said every part of this image that looks kind of like a dog, make it look even more like a dog. And predictably, the face probably looked the most like a dog because a dog has a nose and two eyes and a mouth. So that's why this particular image of Mona Lisa, that's the strongest dog face you see, comes from her face. But then all the other details around are a little bit more abstract, but they also are dog faces because the whole point of this particular image was you know, evoke as much dog face imagery as you can from this input image. Well, and um, dude, what they call it, which I am probably mispronouncing this word, is this algorithmic pareidolia, which it, this is like what what you're talking about, what you're describing there right. when you lay down and you try and start seeing things or you just simply lay down and you look up at the clouds and you'll see a cloud that looks like a carrot or a fucking, you know, some inanimate object. It's whatever, not- whatever you're seeing into it, you're like you're you're training your focus to see that carrot because it's, it's a fucking cloud. You know, there's not a yeah, carrot there. It's not a carrot. Yeah, but you have seeing... to have seen. And, and the only way you can see a carrot is you have to have seen thousands of carrots before. Yeah. So just like that with this deep dream um, for this dog one, for example, they fed it a million images of dogs and said, this is what a dog looks like. So then it's like, OK, let me take this picture of Mona Lisa and learn everything I know about dogs and then try to find them anywhere I can. And then it just yeah. does that over and over on a feedback loop. It's freaky, dude. And yeah, you see the dogs and and I mean, the so dogs- here, I, I want to blow your mind even more. This will this is the one that scares me. I don't know if you'll get the same impact, um, but it's going to share an, an image. Uh, well, I mean, if you can go to an Instagram page, if you're logged in, so you can scroll through, or I can oh, share sure. my screen. Um, so it's it's Open AI, D A L L E. It's pronounced Dali. Okay, hold on. Let me log in to Instagram here. Um, yeah, I'm slow with the computer. This, this one scares me. This is the one that actually legit scares me. Okay, well, so what is what is the uh, page? Uh, it's it's Open AI, O P E N A I. And then D-A-L-L-E. Okay, that's the first one that pops up here. Yep. All right, let me share my screen and see what we're getting into because I might actually take the second segment and do a entirely different like visual episode here because this is... Okay, so let me, ex- let me explain. Yeah, so let me explain what we're looking at first sure. here. So 
the the deep dream as i explained that mona lisa and the dogs that was saying here's this input image of mona lisa now evoke all the dogs that you can and somehow through machine learning and reading millions of pictures of dogs it knows how to make dogs where it needs to now this is a, a program called dali and specifically the one we're looking at is the second version um it's made by a company called open ai and this is dali too google has their own version of this i forgot what it's called uh, and a few other companies have their own versions that kind of do the same thing but on this one instead of saying you know find all the dogs you can just tell it exactly what you want to see so if you scroll down on that the one on the far right i do, do have to say you gotta love the logo first yeah. of all <laughs> yeah you got your six your hexagram and it kind of looks like a swastika with six uh six legs so hey. so the image on the far right tell me what you see what are you looking at which right one now? the the sandwich yeah. yeah what are you looking at i'm looking at a sandwich uh looks like um it's got a sandwich wheat bread You've got uh, some some avocado or some lettuce with some tomatoes, some cucumber, and then some bacon on top for some weird so, fucking reason. So this sandwich does not exist. It's not a 3D model. It's not a painting. This was 100% generated by AI because AI knows what a BLT sandwich would look like. So it knows how to recreate a BLT sandwich from any perspective, angle, lens type. Um, you could have they like they just put in a prompt of a food photo of a blt sandwich and they could have added on top of that and you know um and a mouse next to it and you would see a mouse there so if you go back and start looking through all these other images every image you see on this page was a hundred percent generated by ai every single thing you see hmm. like none of these are real that that photo of the dog on a skateboard that's not a real photo of a real dog or a real skateboard that's a hundred percent ai generated and someone just typed in that exact prompt, a skateboarding dog at night, Voilander, knocked on, which is a certain type of camera and film, um, 10.5 millimeter at an f-stop of 0.95. And that's where you get that focal sort of blurring um, and that sort of like a fish eye wide angle lens aspect. That's all 100% because a computer has gone out on the internet and just read the billions of images out there. And it's seen enough dogs on skateboards and enough um film types and camera types and f-stops that it just knows now how to make anything at all that you want to type into it yeah because you can notice that that leg is real fucked up yeah they'll all have those little uh, kind of side effects but i mean in 10 years from now yeah i really do think that it's not just going to be typing in like a photo of a blt sandwich i mean like oh man how real does that look it might be you going to netflix and being like make me a show about a conspiracy theorist that can fly oh, through the shit. air and and it'll just be like here's a 30 minute completely uh, original animated produced voiceover everything made just for you real time and that one moment and we could at some point almost just all be watching our own customized everything forever well dude don't you think that like you're an artist and you have a company based on art don't you think that's when art is dead i mean if everyone is their own ai artist i mean this this seems like it would dramatically affect uh, well i'm saying this is why this is really scary because <laughs> this is the visual aspect of this um and it's it's the most easy to explain to someone but the way that this is actually working this doesn't just replace artists it replaces everything it replaces engineers it replaces programmers it replaces teachers it replaces authors um, so much of what we probably read online already is just 100% generated by AI, just like the text and everything. 
So this is an AI photo too, even though it says it's a it's a damaged photograph. No, so so everything you see in quotes, that's the the text prompt that you feed into the AI. That's what you're telling it what you want. And the more specific you can be, the better the results going to be. So this one says a prize winning, highly detailed, vintage, black and white, grainy damaged photograph. That's known as a modifier. So instead of saying a prize winning, highly detailed, vintage, black and great, um, grainy photo, you could have wrote um, a vibrant 3D rendered Minecraft style blank, blank, blank dog playing Xbox. And then you would have got a Minecraft version of this dog. So that's all that they type into this software is what's in quotes here. They're not actually coding an image into existence. It's not, there's no code involved. It's just, there's no code involved. Like um, try going to uh, my night cafe. I think it's called. Is that a separate page? Uh, Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do um, creator. There's a Minecraft or a pixelated version of what you're talking about. That fucking jellyfish is wild. There's so much crazy stuff. And like, look at the, the starfish as a galaxy. There's a, um, a shark. Um, Yeah. Like, like the uh, a woven avocado like this is all 100 percent ai generated like this what the fu- dude it's and people insane, think dude. that there can't be like people think that there's no possibility that maybe joe biden isn't even right, president right. right now <laughs> you know what i mean that is so insane dude because yeah some of these clearly look like they could be ai generated these photos and these like more artistic looking things um that looks like a really good version of like a promotional picture for a jacket. Like if you're selling that and see where it says unreal engine at the end, that's the modifier that made it look like that 3d thing, just because they put those two words unreal engine, which is a 3d game engine. So there's clearly some key, some, uh, some key words that you can incorporate into your description. Yeah. So I was going to say, if you want to do a a real like low version of this, um, it's creator.nightcafe.studio. A and website. This one, yeah, it's a website, and this one you can you can do some free versions of it and just kind of play around. Um, I'm not gonna create... get fucking tagged for some crazy shit, right? No, 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 no. This one is is safe. Creator dot night cafe dot night cafe dot studio. Oh man, let's see. All right, dude, my mind's dark. So, do I have to set up an account or anything? Uh, I don't think so. I think you can just yeah, right there where it says describe you want to see. So come up, come up with something that only would come out of your head that you know that someone couldn't have already pre-generated. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to type in killer hot dog. Um, and what is it doing? Let's say that's, that's the subject. So now think, what is it doing? Is it riding a skateboard? Is it driving a car? Is it jumping out of an airplane? Like how killer, to do something? Killer hot dog soldier. Sure. But what's it doing? Well, actually, killer, killer hot dog. Let's get crazy with some of the words here. Killer hot dog. Uh, maybe uh, killer hot dog. This is so hard on the spot. Killer hot dog. <laughs> yeah, the blank canvas maybe. syndrome. We'll say dancing. Killer hot okay. dog dancing. And then what should I do? So let's say uh, dancing um, under the moon. On a, I say um, under the moon or under moon? Under the moon. It doesn't really matter. Under the moon um during the day sure sure yeah some i mean that's cool like a nonsensical kind of thing so then go ahead and hit create and then i'm going to show you how modifiers improve this and and change it hope let's see if this actually works okay uh okay yeah so it's gonna this will take maybe like 30 seconds so it's gonna do like maybe four to five iterations so this is the first iteration 
And obviously it doesn't look like a killer hot dog under the moon. So it knows that it doesn't look like that. So it's going to just keep doing it over and over. Okay. It's coming oh into focus God, a little more. Dude, this is right? so weird. Okay. So yeah, it's going to do, I think four or five passes because it's 25% done here. Okay. So we've got so far, it looked like a bunch of nothing. Now you're starting to see a bun with a moon in the background with some yep. clouds forming. It kind of looks smoky. And I just want to uh, point out, this one is like the, the five-year-old older version of the one that we looked at. That dolly is cutting edge. Um, uh, most people don't even have access to it yet. That's going to be the next big thing. This is like the old big thing that's not as impressive anymore. Okay. So now we're on the fifth generation. And so this, this is the this is the end of it. If you actually create an account and give them money, you can have this iterate like thousands of times. But this more or less, like you kind of see a hot dog here. You kind of yeah. see a moon here. It's not bad, right? I mean, for like so, just a random thing, you see a moon, you see, uh, I mean, it looks like this. This kind of looks like a hot dog in a weird way. Killer. Maybe there's some blood involved in there. Um, the daytime you see coming in at the bottom. Yeah, so dude. so now no uh click the little three buttons and i think there'll be like a duplicate option this uh no um buy where it says publish on like the yeah yeah, yeah all the way to the right oh, there you go yeah duplicate yeah click that one and now when this pops up let's we're gonna add some modifiers here so it's showing you examples of like if you just add the word candy to the end see yeah. that so like yeah. click on the candy picture and it'll sh it'll you'll see it add a whole bunch of words to the end of yours uh and then maybe not turn. yeah yeah go ahead and, and run it again now at the at the very bottom i think create uh or maybe you just hit create yeah right there so it cost one credit i don't know if yeah I you're know. good you, you've get like five free credits so uh, this one is going to be the same thing but it has that candy modifier um and just by adding this one word of like candy to the end you'll see it'll drastically change like the, the color palette and everything else. And yeah, already. Oh, um, yeah. And then like the, I'm not going to sit here and do this for hundreds and hundreds of these, but at a yeah. certain point you could say like candy made out of yarn with a flashlight shining from the top right corner. And like the more specific you get as you go, the more accurate and accurate it'll get to the point where if you type out like a full paragraph worth of text, it might not look um, perfect, but it's going to be so close to what you're asking for. And again, this is the old version Whoa. that me and you are allowed to play with in public. Imagine like the top secret military version of this that's not out for the public. Yeah, the applications here would be insane. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're trying to type look at this, in bro, I mean, tell me that that's if you knew the prompt, tell me that's not a hot dog um, with like some kind of candy effect. And there's a fucking moon right there above it. There's even another kind of hot dog looking thing up here. And then, yeah, the killing part. I mean, this could be like brain matter or something leaking out. Dude, that is wild. But I mean, like, think about like something very current. Think about like, um, you know, the government saying like, you know, Ukrainian woman dead by Russian, you know, whatever. And then they can type that in. And there, there's probably video applications of this shit, too. Yeah, I mean, the, what's the movie uh, Wag the Dog from the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. where they they made like the fake war? Well, now they don't even have to hire a producer to do that. They just type wow. in fake war, create, and it's like, here's your two hour clip of a fake war, right? Do you have an account with these guys? Because I, I am actually very interested in doing this. Oh, thing. yeah. I mean, th this is like like a, the, the beginner's version of this. Okay. Um, the, the one that gets really 
deep into it outside of the Dali one, but I was mentioning before that I use something called VQGAN plus Clip. Um, and VQGAN, VQGAN is one of the many GAN networks, and a GAN stands for a Generative Adversarial Network. And this is essentially this mechanism of like, tell me what you want me to make. I try to make it, and then I judge myself on how much it looks like that thing. And if it doesn't look good, then I change some things and I try it again. Um, that's the computer talking, not me. You know, it's like trying all these different arrangements. And once it thinks it's good enough, it shows it to you. And the way that machine learning usually works is that then there might be some human intervention where someone comes in and says, no, that actually doesn't look like a killer hot dog dancing under the moon during the day because of X, Y, Z. Um, and you can give that input and the machine learning goes back into its little hole. And it's like, all right, you know, Ryan told me that that didn't look like a hot dog. Let me try something else now. And like, does this look any better? And just that, that long process of like, okay, yeah, that looks good. Or no, that doesn't look good. Eventually it will know exactly what a hot dog looks like for the next million times someone asks it. And if, I don't know if you've seen the show um, Silicon Valley on HBO, uh -uh. it was like a comedy show. Um, but they had they they had a, a few little jokes about this. And one of them was an app that could recognize a hot dog. <laughs> so if you point and like the, the premise was that they were they were uh, funded with like all this seed money and millions of dollars because they thought that they were making an app that I could point it at any food. And it would tell me like that's a Salisbury steak and broccoli and sweet potato and everything. But the joke was that the only thing it could do was detect whether or not something was a hot dog or not. A oh, hot dog. shit. Um, but that is very much based on exactly what machine learning is, yeah. is that you would just um, send it a million pictures of hot dogs and let it try to determine if it knows. And then when it comes back to you and says, hey, I think this picture is a hot dog. You can just say, no, you were wrong. And it learns from that. And then after you do that so many times. Um, it'll figure out what a hot dog is. And the way that it does that, this is even more scary, is that like you mentioned that on a, on a 2D graph, right? And just like a regular old like dot pointed graph, you got any two dots that are close to each other. That's like a hot dog that looks very similar. And then if you've got a dot over on the other side of the spectrum, that one is still looks like a hot dog, but it looks way different. Like, like the image you've got here on the top and the bottom, they're both hot dogs, but they're they're so far away yeah. on this kind of 2D uh, scale. Well, now imagine it's like a 3D graph, not a 2D graph, and all the variations that would come in from not just having XY coordinates, but also like the Z plane. Well, the way Dali works isn't in, <laughs> in a 2D graph or a 3D graph. It's like a billion factored graph. It is a Imagine a world of a billion dimensions, not two dimensions, not three dimensions, not 12, like a billion dimensions. And that's kind of how this AI works. And it's, it can just get so much more complicated than any single person would ever be able to fathom. And it's fucking insane. And it's terrifying. Yeah, that is fascinating. At the same time, this is sick too. You can buy a print. Because that actually <laughs> does look cool. I'm not going to lie. It looks kind of cool. Um, but like, dude, humans are so bad at trying to preserve themselves because our fascination with the art is what is also adding to its strength because more people are going in there and they're inputting data and they're saying, no, this doesn't look like a hot dog because of this. Uh, just using our dumb little example here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and then the, the computer is going to be like, okay, all these people are telling me this. So I've got to follow the instructions, but that's very, very counterproductive to like what humans would need. Cause you would think like, like I said, this is taken away from what you do down the road. You know, the art that you put out. Maybe the, the one thing that I this might not be true for very long, but it's like if I wanted 
something similar, but I wanted the moon to be in the top left and I wanted the hot dog to be in the bottom right. And I wanted to make a couple little tweaks. That's what you would need an artist to do to make those very specific tweaks because this AI related artwork, that's great. If you just wanted a generic hot dog candy moon thing, but once you're like, I want to have a person here by this door and it's this color, that amount of specificity is just too much for it to just like randomly come across but I mean, in five years, 10 years, let's fucking talk again. And, you know, I might not be even talking to artists anymore. I might just be talking to computers. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do this one more time. Just so let's just say hot dog under the moon and, and do something crazy like made out of yarn. Okay. Made of or made out of Ma- yarn? made whatever made out of yarn. And then also do like um, at the beginning, do a, a Polaroid photo of a Polaroid photo. Check yeah. this out. I was uh, Kim just walked in here. You got to look at this. You can just stand over here and check this out. So, uh, what did you say? Polaroid. A Polaroid photo of Polaroid photo of. Okay, so he just introduced me to this, and what it is. Oops, is so it's AI, and then say so. Should I click one of these things here? No, no, no. Just go go down, and then just hit the create button, and then you can do a modifier afterwards. It's cool to kind of see the before after. Okay, and you've got so- you've got two more you can do after this. So all these images are getting created with AI. There's no one drawing these things right, right here. And right. so like I typed in right here, this is killer hot dog dancing under the moon. And this thing, <laughs> this thing randomly just made this and it does these different iterations. So like, this is more. When do you have to start paying for it? I think after five credits, he said. After so. five, you have to sign up. And then every day they give you five free credits and then they build up how exciting so this is the first iteration right here it's running and then it will change this image so this is supposed to be a polaroid photo of hot dog under the moon made out of yarn so it's gonna it's gonna evolve the that's crazy yeah so let's see what it turns out to be it doesn't look like anything right well we're starting to get the (laughs) it's got it's got two more iterations before it's done now (laughs) oh my gosh what the fuck so it's not done yet let's see this is pretty hilarious. Well, that's what that deep dream. This is along the lines of that deep dream stuff. <laughs> okay, so now Man. that kind of looks like a yarn hot dog. It kind of looks like chopsticks holding a bunch of meat. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's like the finished image. Chopsticks that's... holding a bunch of meat, like folded meat. So that's the finished image. It's weird. It looks like it's a picture that you're taking of a really bad painting of the moon. And in front of that painting, there's some moldy chopsticks holding some meat. Yeah. And the hot dog looks to be above the moon. Which is interesting yeah, too. It's so weird. It looks it's like cool, a cool dude. It's that's <laughs> I wouldn't pay for them to generate that image like the first well, one is cool but that, this one that, no that, that one's pretty cool too yeah but like that's dumb. yeah well, and, and another cool thing about this too is that since it's trained on the internet if you give it internet language it actually does a little bit more so like for example if you were to make a new one and said like omg look how freaking realistic this um hot dog under the moon made out of yarn looks you might even get an even more accurate example because wow. it knows that when someone says omg look how awesome this is yeah that it like it has some extra quality that me or you as humans can't detect whatever that pattern is but it knows that yeah. every time someone has said omg look how cool this is that there's certain characteristics that it knows to apply that we wouldn't 
That's so weird. Um, that's freaky. I wonder if you talk to it in its own code, like if you sent it a bunch of code. That's what I asked. Apparently, it doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't so matter. You can tell it whatever you want, man. Wow. So you can talk to it in code, like brackets and shit. Yeah. Yeah. You want it here? Let me let me share my screen. I'll show you something. On okay. That. Here, no, I gotta me... probably leave after this. Yeah. Me too, man. Let me see. Uh. Yeah. Go ahead and share yours. Okay. No, go for it. So this right here is the same company that does Dali. Um, this is called GPT-3, which is like, like Dolly and the one that we were just using is based on StyleGAN and VQGAN. Those are all image-based. This is a text-based one. Um, and, and you can do all kinds of crazy shit with this. I don't know how, like for me as a programmer, I can make it do some really crazy things, but just like real basic, I could say like, um, Made that little uh, come up with a list of 10 show ideas for the next conspiracy podcast series with ryan um and then if i give it like a, a hint and saying like the first one is going to be on the lucis lucis trust and lucifer publishing company now i'm just going to say go and we're going to see what the other topics that things that you would cover are going to be this was done in south park dude where that robot so look at the examples it gave us. This is AI. Wow. Vatican wow. ties to the Illuminati, the New World Order, the Bilderberg Group, MK Ultra, and then I can and I can almost turn it just... conversational. So I could be like, I like that last one, MK Ultra. Give me more like that. I don't like this. <laughs> Bam! Now it's going to give me Monarch. very specific to just MK Ultra, and yeah. then I could and then I could say like. Uh, it takes the thinking out of thinking. Those last ones are about aliens. Show me more. Okay. Wow. And then you can see what it gives you for alien stuff. Okay, now here's it's going down these rabbit holes. The War of the Worlds, the X-Files, Dark City, Matrix, Blade Runner. Now now check this out. We can do some oh like some God. weird like uh, analogy stuff. So I could say like uh um Neo to the matrix is like lucifer to the bottom just random shit right is like and then see what analogies it comes up with in addition to that a character to story okay that one was a little bit fucking obvious so let's say like <laughs> a jonah or jonah to the will it, will it say whale automatically i wonder bam <laughs> wow and then now if we want to get into like, I don't know if what you've ever fuck? done like HTML or JavaScript or any kind of like programming stuff. No, before. never. So if I wanted to, I could just say, write me a web, a web page in HTML and CSS about um, a conspiracy podcast. Jesus. And then say, um, make the text green and the background a red gradient watch this shit wow. it's fucking writing a website <laughs> called a conspiracy podcast this is all valid html um this right here is setting the background to a red linear gradient it set all of the text to be green just because i told it to and all i had to say was make it in html and css um now for like some crazy programming shit uh which might go over your head but i could say write 
a Dijkstra pathfinding algorithm in C sharp. Watch this shit. Oops. Okay. This one, this one's giving me a list. So I'm just going to stay uh, in Python. Bam. It's actually writing me a fucking, um, <laughs> a very complicated, by the way, very complicated algorithm that finds the shortest path between two arbitrary points on a grid. And it's called the Dijkstra algorithm. And just me telling it to do that, it wrote the fucking function for me with fucking air handling, everything all built in. It's, it's absolutely insane the way this wow. works. And I mean, you can keep extrapolating this beyond, like if you're writing a book, you could write like the first two chapters and then just say, now write me the third chapter and it'll just fucking write whatever the third chapter might be. You know what I mean? So articles are being written by AI today. A already. million percent without, yeah. yeah like I'll say right here, write me uh, an article. An article about George Floyd. <laughs> about George Floyd. Bam. Dude, that is and fucking I, And dark. I can even say, I can even say, dude, this is actually, watch this shit. Write me a limerick about George Floyd that rhymes and involves a flying elephant. What? Okay. We'll see how close it can get. There once was a man named George Floyd whose life was unfairly cut short. What the fuck? He was killed by a cop while flying on an elephant. The world cried out justice, but still was not heard. This what <laughs> is this not insane? Insane. Yeah, it's breaking my brain. Every line rhyme. Let's see if it can get there with the word heard. I didn't it didn't quite do it. That each line and <laughs> it's fucking in, insane, uh, man. See how like the more specific I get, the closer it'll start to to get towards what I'm asking it for. A flying elephant heard of George Floyd and felt quite upset by the news. He took to the skies to show his support and joined in the protests with a trunk. Now the world is a better place, all thanks to this flying elephant. <laughs> Dude, this is fucking nuts, man. About this? just wait a second yeah I so anyways is... this is a, a wild tangent we can just keep going down and down on this thing because the other cool thing too is that you can compare you can pair this with dolly right so i could say go tell dolly or like write me a limerick about george floyd and then i can say okay take each of these lines and feed it to dolly so that now dolly draws me a picture that represents all thanks to the flying elephant. Yeah, yeah. Now draw me a picture of this one and it can be all hundred percent automated. So now it's like, create me a children's book about George Floyd and it, and it uh, writes it and then it creates all the illustrations for it. It can even format it. It can do everything for you by you just giving it a simple input. Dude, that's wild, man. That is really interesting. This would be a fun, a visual episode, like on YouTube or, or like just with videos and you have a few people in there. And since you have an account, you're sitting there and you, you go through it and make like different images and shit like and, and you know, just rant, see where it can go, because that is dude, that poem thing is weird to me, man. Like the and it knew obviously who George Floyd was. 
I wonder if it would take someone to, and obviously we're wrapping up, but like, I wonder if it would take someone like me, who's not a well-known person. Right. And it, it could actually write an accurate story about me or probably not. Right. It's not that far along. Uh, no. So this is, this is a, a scary part of it, but GPT three, that text one that I just showed you, it's trained in, in writing things that seem accurate, but it doesn't mean they actually are accurate. So I've been more than on one oh. occasion I'd be like, um, cause sometimes I'd just be like, suggest a list of books for me about this topic or suggest like some movies about this topic. And every once in a while, it'll suggest a movie that's so specific. It was one about like Jack Parsons. I was like, give me, you know, 10 documentaries about Jack Parsons to go out and watch. And one of them was like the Jack Parsons story, 1992 directed by this, this publishing company, here's the IMDB page and everything. It was all bullshit. The, the title was bullshit. The director was bullshit. The publishing company was bullshit. But the but GPT-3 knows how to write something that looks legit. Um, so it doesn't really understand the difference between accuracy and inaccuracy. It knows the difference between like rhetoric, right? Like, how can I show you information that looks 100% legit and valid, even though it isn't? And that's what it's good at. But that's also what makes it kind of scary. Wow. Yeah, wild shit, dude. Yeah, I don't know how we got here to this, but I'm glad we did because <laughs> this is cool, dude. Like, like you said, I understand why, you know, especially being an artist and and I draw and I fuck around too. I don't I don't mess with the computer much. I have Illustrator, but that's about it. And um, yeah, dude, it, it is scary, but very, very interesting, man. So I'm glad you shared it, dude, for sure. Um anything else dude i mean i, I know that no, dude, up, tangents but... abound yeah i mean we've got too many tangents to wrap up and yeah dude now. i'm glad i'm really glad that this wasn't just 20 minutes man i don't uh i don't think that this would be fair to the audience if it was only a 20 minute conversation that we had so i'm glad that you talked and and got into it with all this stuff and hell yeah and man we start with uh lucius trust and then end up on uh ai creating freaking articles and damn uh images man that is wild it kind of blew my mind right now I have a headache now, dude. What am I going to do with my with my life? But anyway, man, <laughs> plug yourself one more time and and then we'll get out of here, man. Obviously, Paranoid American. Do you have the hard comic books for sale? Because I just saw on there the um, the digital copies, which is nice that you do, where people can just simply go and read through a lot of stuff for free. Do you sell those to, to support? I do. Um, it's It's been really hard to get some small print runs just because of supply and paper issues and shit. But right now... The number one place to get printed copies is Amazon. If you go on Amazon and search for Paranoid American or some specific titles. So one of them was Connect the Dots, the Chemtrails book. I've got a title called Secret Mystery School. I've got one called Time Samplers. Uh, there's Paranoid American History, which is an anthology that covers a whole bunch of cool different topics. Um, so if you just find one of them, you'll find all of them on Amazon by just clicking Paranoid American. There's coloring books and all kinds of stuff on there. But yeah, so if you want printed copies, go check out Amazon and look for Paranoid American. If you want to read some free comics, paranoidamerican.com. And then I post all of my latest stuff that I'm working on on Instagram at Paranoid American. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. And you've done quite a few different podcasts. Um, all I mean, you I know you're on Tinfoil Hat. I don't know any of the other ones that, that you have made appearances on. We did the Monday Night Master Debaters, but you've been around. You've been talking and um, you share all kinds of different stuff. I know you've talked about Disney. Um, pretty well-rounded in research. I, would I say. talked so, about NFTs with Isaac Weissop a while ago. Um, 
because that also ties into AI and stuff. A lot of that NFT stuff is generated by AI too. Yeah, I, I bounce around, man. I, I like a lot of different topics. My my background is that I was in the military uh, as a computer programmer for a few years. I left that, got directly into professional music. I made music for Adult Swim, VH1, MTV, uh, some movies and stuff. Ended up hating that, got into uh, game design and worked for Disney for 10 years, which is where I learned about animation and artwork and got into comics. And now I've come full circle and I just do like AI programming most of the day now. It's crazy, dude. It sounds like you've had a really freaking interesting life, man. So good for you on, on uh, that. Been all over the place. Military, Disney, freaking, you know, all kinds of shit. Freemasons, right? I mean, like yep. it's uh, <laughs> pretty badass, man. And I'm honored, like I said, just to, to get to chat with you here and I know we ran long, but you're very generous with your time, man. And uh, we'll wrap up here, guys. But yeah, you'll obviously be getting another episode here in a couple of days. This is uh, probably going to be a separate segment, but I'll obviously incorporate it into the uh, entire episode. But yeah, dude, can't thank you enough for joining. And uh, hopefully we can talk again, maybe about that KKK history, because that's mind blowing alone. Anytime, so. man. It's, it's a, a very spicy subject, but no one's uh, touching it. And I would love to. Yeah, man, I'm not I'm not afraid of that shit, man. Let's get into it. But yeah. uh Again, many thanks, dude, and uh, thanks to everyone listening. Make sure that y'all stay safe, have fun, and uh, just enjoy the time that we got here, guys. Take care.